There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is Now Playing Podcast Review of Loki. I am Loki, the Asgard. And I am burdened with glorious powers. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Hosted by Arnie. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Jacob. What can I say? I'm a mischievous scamp. And Stuart. You love the dark. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You still don't want to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa! Language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today, by popular request, we are reviewing Loki, starring Tom Hiddleston, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, and Owen Wilson, directed by Kate Heron. This is Arnie, god of outcasts and co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the god of being an asshole and a bad friend, Jacob. I think we all were. I just want to say, I cannot deny, I had a little trickster glee in me last July when I just imagined people that didn't get the word and came on Tuesday to hear about this much-discussed Marvel TV show. There's a lot of them, Stuart. A lot of them didn't get the word. (laughs) And then they get Company of Heroes, like a completely obscure, irrelevant, meaningless Tom Sizemore World War II video game movie that no one in their right mind would ever voluntarily watch. Like, how mean was that? It was pretty mean. I love it. I mean, this series tricked us. We thought it was a miniseries, and I think it was Arnie. You were watching it and started sending the text out. You're like, I just watched the last episode. This is a TV series. They promote season two by the end. Yes, and... They tricked a lot of people with it. Apparently, this had leaked out that it was going to have a season two. I was trying to stay fairly spoiler-free when it comes to TV shows, so I didn't know until last bit of episode six, where they say Loki will return, I'm like, oh, this isn't a miniseries. They had said this was a miniseries. This was intended to be a miniseries. Plus, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier were self-contained stories. Like, it was beginning, middle, and end. And that's basically why we don't do TV series, is that, like, we're not able to talk about the story structure and, you know, all the dangling threads. Literally no end to this series here. Yeah, and how 
granular do you want to get into what happens in each episode or do you want to just skip over the episodes that are less interesting and talk about the meat i mean it's just a different medium and i don't want to knock tv i've actually really grown to like it in the last 20 years i grew up not really being a tv watcher or only in a small part of my life did i watch tv but i think that it's an excellent art form for telling long format stories i think it can be really great but it's not what now playing does by its inception, we have always been focused on just being able to look at the total story of characters. But of course, even that has been compromised because we know when we go to the movie theaters and see these Marvel things or even these Star Wars things, like there's going to be dangling threads. Like we now live in an age where TV is on the big screen and the little one. Like there is always the idea of building universes and keeping a franchise going. And we've done miniseries many times. I think Stephen King really brought us into the miniseries world. I think that's when it started, yeah. <laughs> but yes, when it became an ongoing series, it was something that was outside of our scope. So why are we doing it? Because you asked us to. And we always appreciate our listeners and want to give you a show you want to hear. And so while we're not becoming a TV podcast... This was made very clear this was something you wanted to hear. It's not just that they wanted to hear. We promised that we would do it. That's really what I think about. We said we were doing it, and then at the last minute we flaked, and that didn't feel right. And so I feel like we may not be back on for other future Disney Plus Marvel TV series. Yeah, we're not doing what if. Yeah, we're going to take it case by case when these new things come out and see if it's series or miniseries. But we can't become a podcast of just Marvel. That wasn't our design. That's not what I would want to do. And I think we would, frankly, all get tired of it. The fun of this whole podcast is that we can jump around and explore different areas of film. It's not about just superheroes. That said, I mean, this had an interesting way of coming about because we knew that there was going to be a Loki TV series before we saw Avengers Endgame. So when Loki showed up in Endgame and then disappeared, we're like, well, we know where he went, Disney+. Plus." But that actually wasn't how this all came to be. When watching all the makings of and doing reading of interviews, Tom Hiddleston thought his career was going to be over as Loki with Endgame. He knew he was going to die in Infinity War, but he also knew there would be a cameo for him in Endgame due to the time travel thing. But he thought that that was over. And when they filmed that scene for Endgame, they weren't sure if there would be a Loki TV series. It wasn't until after filming that, but before Endgame came out, that they talked to Tom Hiddleston and said, what would you think of doing a Loki TV series? And it all hinged on would he say yes or would he say no? Of course, I don't know that he has a huge career outside of Loki. <laughs> well, I, no, I think he's in an interesting position because he's just on that edge, right? He's almost a leading man. I feel like he's almost Michael Fassbender. Like, they tried to create him in a lab, but they it just went <laughs> wrong. Like, they put in too much smug without the charm, and he just hasn't connected in those non-Marvel parts. I mean, Skull Island, Crimson Peak... Even the little stuff I've seen him in. I, I did enjoy him in one TV miniseries. Uh, it was a spy thing from John LeCar called The Night Manager. That was legit his best thing I ever saw him do. He was really the core of that, and he was good. But by and large, he's had trouble 
staking his own claim as being anything other than Loki. Yeah, I forget that he's in movies like Skull Island because he just seems more of an <laughs> indie actor to me. Like, I, I think of his smaller films like Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah, and that was a pre-Thor movie. When I think of him these days, I legitimately think of him as the 21st century's Adam West. I mean, he showed up at Comic-Con in costume. Is that what he's doing now? That's so not my image of him. And can I just say, like, that's even kind of part of the problem is that, like, he seems to be mugging even when he's not on screen. It's like there's something about, like, that need to be loved in that way that just... It's interesting that Loki, the character, struggles with narcissism because that is my read of Hiddleston himself in that he's going to go to Comic-Con with the horns on his head and, like, bait the crowd into standing ovations. And having gotten his autograph several times, my impression of him through brief interactions and long observations, because those lines take a long time, yeah, I'd say narcissist fits and barely tolerant of most of his fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of actors struggle with this, but like the need to be seen mixed with the idea of having no privacy and having people you don't respect control your path of the future. So yeah, here's the thing. Of all of the Disney Plus TV series they announced, this was the hardest one for me to get excited about. I didn't see a trailer for it. I saw one still of him wearing a collar and what looked like a prison uniform. And I just assumed it was going to be Loki gets busted. He went too far and he gets busted. And we have uh, some kind of Orange is the New Loki show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you because, okay, Scarlet Witch, I knew they were doing some weird sitcom TV thing. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier look like a paramilitary lethal weapon. I saw the trailer for Loki. I'm like, I don't know. What's it about? I still don't know after watching that trailer. I had no idea where this was going to go. This was probably the series I was most excited for, though, because I do like Loki a lot. From being the character I loathed in Brana's original film, once Whedon got his hands on him and after... I was really enjoying Loki and is easy to forget because Tom Hiddleston does feel omnipresent, but he's not been in that many Marvel movies because he was in Thor and Avengers back to back. And then we didn't see him again for several years until Thor the Dark World. And then he went away again until Ragnarok and then Infinity War and then he's been around ever since but there were many many years where Loki was missing and I missed him so to have him come back the question I had is is there too much of a good thing the metaphor I always go to is Fast Times at Ridgemont High you don't want Spicoli to star in the sequel so and he's Spicoli to you you really do love seeing Loki when he does pop up Yes, I do. The only reason I have given Thor the Dark World the green arrow I do every time I see it is Hiddleston. Okay. I will say he was one of the early Marvel villains that actually had some depth to him when Marvel really had a villain problem during that first phase, even that second phase. Like In Avengers, you mean? True, yes. I've never forgiven him for Thor, and I've never give, forgiven anyone for Thor. That first Thor movie remains the very worst Marvel movie in my mind. Second worst. Incredible Hulk's the worst. No! No. Yes. Yeah, you're both wrong. Thor to the Dark World's the worst. At least it didn't pretend it was Shakespeare. I like that. First Thor movie is just irritating in its pretensions. And Hiddleston was a real problem. But you are correct. And I will recognize he got better as they knew how to use him as a villain. 
And he was supposed to die in Thor The Dark World. That was going to be the end of Hiddleston. I complained during that podcast how they give him this big death scene, and then at the very end, Stinger, ha-ha, I've somehow become Odin. I don't know how, but I'm Odin now. It turned out, according to the behind-the-scenes of Loki, it was when he went out on stage at Comic-Con and had 8,000 people in his thrall that Kevin Feige was backstage and went, yeah, maybe we don't kill him quite so quickly here. <laughs> so that's why he did it. Like, career assuring. Like, I need to make sure that they don't write me out of this show. He was filming a movie in which he had died for good. And because he did it, they then added a stinger where he lived. So it worked. Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, actors need a paycheck. Sometimes we dog on them for that. But I get it. You wouldn't want to leave this series while it's your meal ticket. And Kong Skull Island is not paving ways to new roles. And then this was originally planned as a single season as well. They got him for one season. They looked at this like Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision as one and done. It was during filming they decided that the story could continue. They don't say it explicitly, but this series was also massively hindered by COVID. They started filming in February 2020 and had to quit in March and then resume in September for four more months, and a lot of things that they had planned on originally doing, they weren't able to end up filming, they wanted to have more with Owen Wilson and his boss in this, and I wondered if it wasn't going to be a longer show. This is only six episodes, whereas Falcon and Winter Soldier was eight, and WandaVision, I think, was nine, so yeah, they probably had ambitions that got truncated. And these are short episodes. So there's six episodes. If you watch them all back to back, four hours and 40 minutes. Now, I did spread this out over a few days, but the longest of the episodes is only around 50 minutes. Right. And of course, the other thing I always curious about is, well, who gets this job? Yes, Hiddleston, he can play Loki in his sleep, but you got to have some kind of creative force to, if not direct, then, you know, be the showrunner for this series. They went with someone, I don't know Rick and Morty, but it makes total sense to me. What I know about that show. I know that's a popular cartoon. Right. I've never watched it. It's an irreverent, tween kind of cartoon that's going to have a lot of attitude. I think that's a perfect match for Hiddleston's energy. Yeah, I don't think it's tweens. I think it's stoner teens. But I'm thinking if I wanted to be in touch, I'd get someone like Michael Walden to spearhead this Loki show and, and try to be hip. Like, that would be my hope. So this is a Rick and Morty writer doing this. Yeah, producer. And he's going to be sticking around more because he has moved on to work on the new Doctor Strange film. One of the reasons I know people really wanted us to review Loki is because this is the least self-contained of any of the Marvel series so far. This one has seismic repercussions that it's going to reveal in Spider-Man 3 and in Ant-Man 3, and in Doctor Strange 2, and in the What If TV series, it all starts here. This is really the kickoff to Phase 4. Yeah, it's the new Infinity Gauntlet. The overarching plot is going to be a multiverse, the idea that a single timeline fragments into multiple different realities of fun. Or it looks like fun. I hear that new Doctor Strange one is a horror movie, so we'll see what they can do with it. But yeah, the idea is that we are going to watch the beginnings of Time Fray in these six episodes, and we'll need to have that as a reference going forward in the movie universe. 
What were the ratings for this? I know it's streaming, so maybe that we don't have good numbers on this, but... I mean, it's getting a season two. Yeah, Disney is happy enough with it to say more, but was it, by comparison to Wanda or Falcon Winter Soldier, the same success? Its premiere was the most watched series premiere for Disney Plus ever. Hmm. And according to Nielsen, and they measure by minutes. So understand shorter episodes get lower ratings by Nielsen. Loki was the third most watched original series for its premiere week in June. And it easily bested Falcon and Winter Soldier and almost doubled WandaVision's ratings. Okay, and maybe that's building on the goodwill of two previous series, or maybe I'm just totally out of touch, and Loki is one of the most beloved characters of the MCU, and people couldn't wait to see him in a show. I have to believe there's also something about a snowball rolling downhill. The more they have stuff, the more people sign up for Disney+, and just the more people you already have there ready to push play. Yeah, if they're measuring the first week, well, less people had Disney Plus when WandaVision came out, and less people for Winter Soldier than Loki, and, and so yeah, it would, yeah, snowball, that's a good metaphor. Well, let's get into it ourselves. Arnie, why don't you roll through the plot, and we can discuss all six episodes of this TV show. When the Avengers pulled their time heist to bring back the lives taken by Thanos, they time-traveled back to 2012 to steal the Space Stone hidden inside the Tesseract. Things went sideways and the Tesseract ended up in the hands of Thor's brother Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston. Loki was a prisoner after trying to conquer Earth in the events of the first Avengers movie, but he's able to use the Tesseract to escape. Well, in the TV series Loki, we find out he didn't get very far. His actions caused a deviation of the timeline, alerting the Time Variance Authority, or the TVA. TVA agents monitor the time stream. Whenever actions take place that deviate from what they call the sacred timeline, agents are sent to capture the individual responsible. These people are called variants, and those actions are called nexus events. The TVA agents then destroy, or they use the word prune, the entire timeline to avoid a multiversal war. The sacred timeline is decreed by three mysterious beings known as the timekeepers. As a prisoner of the TVA, Loki is sentenced to be pruned, but TVA agent Mobius M. Mobius, not to be confused with Jared Leto's Morbius, or the Matrix Morpheus, <laughs> I'm confused, maybe you are. <laughs> are we in a different, like, reality? Like, did I travel in this multiverse? Mobius M. Mobius, <laughs> played by Owen Wilson, convinces TVA Judge Renslayer to give Loki a reprieve. See, another Loki variant has been setting traps for TVA agents, killing them and stealing their dimension-hopping gear. Mobius thinks it takes a Loki to catch a Loki. Our Loki isn't too keen to help the TVA until Mobius shows him a video of the life he would have lived on the Sacred Timeline, from inadvertently causing his mother to be killed in the Dark World, to Loki's neck getting snapped in Thanos' oversized grip in Infinity War. Basically, they had an MCU marathon, and Loki realized his life sucked. So Loki agrees to help Mobius, and it doesn't take him long to figure out where the other Loki variant is hiding. In order to not cause any Nexus events, the variant is hiding in apocalypses where no one survives, and so nothing she does matters. With that information, Loki, Mobius, and the TVA agents track down the variant, who is a female Loki who prefers to be called Sylvie. She was taken as a young girl and her timeline pruned, but her Loki nature allowed her to escape and she's been on the run ever since. Sylvie isn't just different from Loki in looks, she doesn't have his illusory magic, 
Instead, she can enchant people and see into their minds. She enchanted a TVA agent and discovered that all agents are brainwashed variants who believe they were created by the Timekeepers. Our Loki wants to team up with her to take over the TVA. Loki believes the TVA to be the ultimate power in the multiverse and thinks the two of them can kill the Timekeepers and take over. But Sylvie has no interest in power or in teaming up with Loki. She just wants revenge on the TVA for ruining her life. Initially, she's reluctant to partner with Loki, but Loki's betrayal has them both on the run, and slowly they form an attraction to each other. Aww. They get captured by the TVA, but Loki's able to convince Mobius that the TVA is lying to everyone, and that all TVA workers had a life before being brainwashed. Mobius tries to confront his boss, Judge Renslayer, so she prunes him. Loki and Sylvie are taken before the Timekeepers, but they break free of the guards and discover the Timekeepers are nothing but mindless androids. Whoever is running the TVA is shrouded in even more secrecy than they realized. In the battle, Renslayer prunes Loki, but then Renslayer loses her fight with Sylvie. To save her own life, Renslayer tells Sylvie that pruned people in timelines aren't killed, they're sent to the place where time ends and then they're eventually killed there. Hoping to save Loki, Sylvie prunes herself, and she discovers Loki's met up with a gang of other Lokis, including an old man Loki, a kid Loki, an alligator Loki. I'm sorry, that's classic Loki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I'm going to describe myself in a few years. Classic Stuart. <laughs> also, there is Mobius, who's not yet been killed. In this land, a creature named Eliath eats all people and things that come. Sylvie touched the creature and discovered it is a guard dog, and the creator of the TVA is on the other side. Together, Loki and Sylvie enchant Eliath and enter the Citadel at the end of time. Mobius, meanwhile, returns to the TVA to confront Renslayer, but the judge is clinging desperately to the idea that the TVA's mission mattered. She leaves to find out who really created the TVA. But Loki and Sylvie beat her to it, as in the Citadel they meet He Who Remains played by Jonathan Majors. In the 31st century, this man was a scientist who discovered the multiverse. In many parallel timelines, other versions of him did the same, and they started crossing the time streams. However, some versions of this man were evil and wanted to conquer the other time streams. This created the multiversal war. To stop this, he who remains created the TVA. By keeping all timelines the same, it prevents evil versions of him from trying to take over. But he who remains is old and tired. He wants to relinquish his position as timekeeper and let Loki and Sylvie take over. But he warns them that if they kill him, then an infinite number of him, many vastly evil, will come and it will be the, quote, end of everything. Despite this warning, Sylvie gives into her bloodlust and kills he who remains. Loki tries to stop her, so she opens a portal and sends him back to the TVA. With He Who Remains Dead, Loki is in a very different TVA than the one he knew. There are statues of He Who Remains prominent in the TVA, and Mobius has no idea who Loki is. And we're promised these things will be explained in the future as credits roll. As we start with episode one, it's entitled Glorious Purpose. Is this some catchphrase that I've just not picked up on before? Has he said this before? Because he says it so much throughout this series. Uh, yeah, it is his first line in Avengers when he is talking to Nick Fury. He says, I am burdened with glorious purpose. Okay. And that purpose is take over Earth. 
And we're back at the first Avengers here, or maybe the middle of Endgame. We're seeing the Loki escape in New York, and where he went with the Tesseract was the Gobi Desert, but not for long. The only way they're going to get any made Avengers back is archival footage. That's what this tells me. We're going to see Hemsworth and Robert Downey Jr., all in scenes we've seen before in Endgame. Good to set the tone, though. I mean, I think that just to understand where we're coming in, as someone that only revisits Marvel every time there's a new movie, sometimes I can forget what's going on. So it was just helpful to to see these scenes again and go, oh, that's right. Loki was there. Like, he wasn't my focus when they were doing the time heist. So the fact that he disappeared with the Tesseract was not something I would have recalled had they not done this for me. And yeah, he goes to rule a primitive tribe, but it is still 2012, right? I mean, we're going to be going through different time periods. Yeah, they're just Mongolians or something, right? Yeah, he could rule Mongolia, probably. They'd probably be fine with that. (laughs) But no, he didn't go back in time. It's still 2012. And he can't because he is a variant. And wow, what an interesting word to introduce in summer of 2021. But uh, (laughs) they didn't plan on it. But man, that was already trending. I'm just going to put it out there. I already was really like thinking about variants before I turned on this show. What's funny is when I think of variants, I think of action figure collecting. I don't think of diseases. (laughs) So here's the question, and and probably none of us have answers. I don't know if the writers do. When he becomes a variant, it's because he took that Tesseract, he jumped to Mongolia, the Gobi Desert, and that was not what the plan was. The plan was what? He goes to jail, his mom gets killed. Like, we'll see what his life story is. We've seen that in the films. But... I guess my question is, is there a Loki still existing? Like, it's like a Back to the Future situation. Like, when Marty McFly goes back in time, another one comes back to the present. Like, there's got to be another Loki to continue this timeline. Is that part of the TVA's job when they take this one away? They put a regular Loki back? I have hurt my head. Okay. (laughs) I didn't think we'd have answers. (laughs) And I have answers for you. Oh, okay. (laughs) It was really difficult for me to try to understand how variants work and timelines work and everything in this. Is it like tenant difficult? Because I don't don't think I could take it. It's probably not tenant difficult, but it's not explained here in a way that makes sense. Yeah, it's not in the series. (laughs) Okay, well, shoot. Let's go for it. If you go back to Endgame, there's a very important pointer scene, as they call them, with the Ancient One talking to Banner about the timelines. Yes. I was thinking of that scene while watching the series. I'll take your word for it. And so when you create an event, it causes a branch timeline. So Mm -hmm. whereas there is the one timeline that would go forward the way it did, when Loki disappeared, that caused a branch. So now you've got two timelines, one in which Loki escaped and the other in which Loki didn't. So these are two different multiverses or two different universes i guess that was created once he picked up that tesseract and disappeared yes so there is still the regular timeline that we've seen that he'll be shown by mobius and then there's this supposed new one that's going to get erased by the tva correct but theoretically the avengers were able to travel back to theirs because they had magic wristbands and so they went back to the sacred timeline yeah theirs was sanctioned by the tva i guess yes And of course, when anytime you start dealing with multiverses and physics, you start dealing with the concept of infinite. And there are infinite timelines. And in reading interviews with the writers and the producers, what they say is basically, there's a timeline where we're having this discussion right now. There's a timeline where we had this discussion 10 seconds ago. 
There's a timeline where we're going to have this discussion 10 seconds from now. I'm currently fiddling with a battery in my hand. There's a timeline where I'm fiddling with a quarter. So all of these are different multiverses, and they're all going to be close enough that the TVA isn't going to care. There's like a level of tolerance. They said that if you looked at the sacred timeline, if you zoomed in, it wouldn't look like a single line. It would look like a bunch of tangled cords around each other. Yeah, that was my next question. So it's not just preserving, to put it in comic book terms, the Marvel 616, that one single universe. There is a multiverse, but they're controlling how that multiverse goes about. Yes, If I understand what you're saying, as long as certain things happen, we don't care about variants. It's if things really diverge and we suddenly have Thor dead, that we have to erase this. That can't happen. Exactly. And who knows what creates that threshold, and that's what the Nexus events are. But yes, I was wondering, because in this first episode, we're going to find out that in different timelines, there's a bodybuilder Loki, and there's a woman Loki, and... I was like, genetics are genetics and timelines are timelines. How are there all these different Lokis, all of whom became variants at different times? Yeah, Tom Hiddleston didn't turn into an alligator at some point. That was just an alligator Loki that existed. And it may be because they differed from prime timeline or sacred timeline Loki so much that that's why they were the variants. Now, as to why this Loki is the variant and the Avengers aren't the variants for screwing with time in the first place, they're going to gloss over that and just say, well, the Avengers did what they were meant to in this episode. Which does come from the comics because, like, this whole TVA, like, came from Thor and Fantastic Four comics. A lot of this stuff came from Thor and Fantastic Four comics. But, like, at one point, the Fantastic Four, because they time travel all the time, they got pulled in by the TVA, and they're like, well, the Avengers did it too. Why aren't they in tra-? Because that was sanctioned. They were somehow helping that sacred timeline, whereas the Fantastic Four were messing it up. So they were held accountable. And so that was kind of the reasoning I took with this. The Avengers, they were doing a good thing by stopping Thanos with their time heist and but Loki no that's not a good thing that wasn't part of the plan and of course there's a metaphor in all of this too in that whenever you're building a giant franchise there's going to be books and cartoons and comic graphic novels and what have you and they're all going to like create their own storylines that some fans are going to gravitate to and some people say not for me I'm not going to bother that doesn't count I think that what they're trying to say is when you're developing a franchise, as long as we can keep all of the components moving more or less in the same direction, we can have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. running on ABC and maybe you're watching it or not. Daredevil on Netflix, all those, yeah. Yeah, we're all going to honor what's happening in the movie. The movies are dogma. They dictate what must be for all of this other side stuff you may or may not be (laughs) connecting to. So what I'm hearing is Kevin Feige went over to Marvel Television and pruned all those timelines. Yeah. In some ways, it makes it clean. I mean, I like a good edit job of like, nope, let's get rid of the clutter. Tell me what matters. I just always appreciate that. I'm not someone that is going to want to seek out side stories of characters in comic books and what have you. Just not my thing. But pretty quick, we are introduced to this TVA, and my mind just went to Terry Gilliam. Either the very few scenes we have of 12 monkeys in the future, Brazil. Time bandits. I mean, he had a whole time travel movie, and yeah, it does feel a lot like this sort of like bizarre comedy of absurdity and bureaucracy. 
Yeah, I do love like these moments like, are you a robot? If you go through this and you're a robot, like you're going to get zapped. And Loki's like, what if I don't know I'm a, if I'm a robot? Or sign here that this is everything you've said. You got to verify this. Like, yes, it does feel very Gilliam at that point. And that's what I knew coming in. I'd seen some of the clips from here and the aesthetic with the giant tube monitors and the bureaucracy and everything being brown. That's basically all I knew coming in was we were going to be dealing with some kind of mismanaged, overstaffed agency that handled time travel. Yeah, it's a fun hook. I gotta say, I'm immediately relieved of like, oh, it's not Loki in prison. Like, that's two things I don't want to see. And no, this is, yeah, exactly. A, a fun world of of something I think anyone can relate to, whether you've ever seen Marvel or not. The idea that the world is absurd, that it asks us to fill out forms and go through motions that seem needless and, and <laughs> antithetical to the human experience. Yeah, this kind of comedy always works for me. Monty Python and Terry Gilliam, British humor is based on theater of absurd kind of stuff like this. And I am laughing. Keep in mind, we have seen Loki undergo a transformation in the films where he, in Ragnarok, became friends with Thor, and in Infinity War, he sacrificed himself trying to save Thor. So, that character underwent a huge arc since Avengers, but we're seeing the Loki who just lost a battle in New York with a bunch of Chitauri on his side, right? And so, to see that arrogant Loki stripped so quickly both of his clothes and of his dignity when he sees somebody ahead of him pruned because they didn't take a ticket because they were the only person in line. I'm not laughing out loud, but I'm certainly smiling ruefully at these scenes. It's like the whole place is the DMV. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, I don't know if that can work. Like, is this a sitcom? You start to ask other questions about, like, <laughs> well, how does this generate a story week after week? Clearly, it, it can't just be him going, although I would enjoy it for a while, you can't have six episodes of falling through doors doors and experiencing more roadblocks and irritating people at desks. You've got to get somewhere. And the point is, he's going to go through all of this with the idea that ultimately he's going to find out that he's going to be erased. Like they just want to get rid of him and just wipe him from existence. Pruning, it's called. Yeah, they have Miss Minutes here who I saw her and I'm like, they're just doing Mr. DNA. And then behind the scenes, they're like, yeah, we just liked Mr. DNA and thought that was a great way to explain all of this. But Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park is here as Tara Strong, the voice of Harley Quinn in the cartoons. Also, I got to call out Raven from Teen Titans Go because my little one who joined us for a recommend on that show, like as soon as she heard that voice, she's like, that's Raven. That's Raven from Teen Titans Go. Look it up. And <laughs> she was right. So here she is doing a Southern Belle voice for Miss Minutes. And I do think that, again, I don't think they explained the timelines well enough in this, but it was a nice way to data dump multiverses on the masses. We're in Wonderland. I mean, that's the signal here. This is just one of the many like white rabbits that are going to run in here and give you information about how, yeah, this is the crazy bureaucracy. I mean, another one I'm thinking of is Beetlejuice, where we find out the afterlife is like paperwork and people that like lose track of things and just it's inefficient. Yeah, take a number. Right. Yeah, this is not how it should work. 
the world and time is being as badly run as our jobs. You know, like that's the disappointing joke of it all. It's just like, wow, I guess there is nobody that's professional. Like it's just always going to crap. And yeah, poor Loki. In a way, you kind of feel bad for the guy that this is how you, you're going to go out. He already lost to the Avengers, but this is more humiliating. But good thing for him, there's another version of him out killing people. And suddenly the show is going to become like a cop show. Like, we're going to get Owen Wilson and he's going to need this Loki to investigate the killer Loki. Well, yeah, I feel like we get Owen Wilson as Immobius. And I feel like a lot of this, especially like the first half of this series is what makes Loki a Loki? Because, okay, he's trying to hunt down a Loki, so he needs to understand a Loki. I get it. But it feels like a bit too much about what makes Loki tick. Let's explore that for four hours. No, I don't need four hours of that. I don't know that they ever answer the question, what makes a Loki a Loki is the problem. They do by the end. Loki survive. I think that's the final answer. Like you thought Tom Hiddleston was out. Nope. He's got his own TV series now. That's what Loki does. <laughs> and they're tricksters. I mean, I do think they're manipulators. They're people that use reverse psychology and illusion to get their way and aren't bothered by the ethics of what that might do for other people. Narcissism. When we go to France in 1549, we see this is, we're told, one of many murders that is happening. And they ask a small boy, who did this? He's going to point to a stained glass window and a devil figure. Is that a different Loki we haven't seen? No, that's Marvel punking us, right? Remember all that devil stuff we talked about in WandaVision? Oh, yeah, with Mephisto. Yeah, I immediately thought of Mephisto. I'm like, they're just punking us by showing a Mephisto in the stained glass. I thought it was because Sylvie, Lady Loki, Enchantress, whichever name you want to call her by, that she's because there is a Lady Loki in the comics. There's also an Enchantress who's a villain in the comics, but she wears tiny horns on her head. I thought they were kind of going for that. At this point, we don't know it's a Loki. Yeah, after watching it, I'm like, oh, okay, that's probably why she pointed to it, because, yeah, she'll have the horns. Okay, you help me out. I'm like, because she really doesn't look like that. <laughs> I mean, I get... She's not dressed in red. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she doesn't look like a devil. I could get that she might seem sinister, but okay, yes. A devilish horned figure came and gave me some blue bubble gum, which I enjoyed, and then murdered these people. And so, yes, Mobius is the detective that not only, you know, he's got to investigate these murders, but he's got to do it before all the evidence gets erased. What's got to be irritating about his job is that this is a bending off of the sacred timeline that needs to be cut down quick. They have this nice little graph always that they can look at on their, you know, what they call them Tim pads or sometimes on the monitors at the TVA. There's a nice blue sacred line. And when it starts like splintering off and these little like, branches start heading towards a red line you pass that red line and that's when trouble happens everything that he's got to investigate needs to happen before they prune that line and when they prune that line one of the things that bothered me the first time i watched this is that means they're killing billions of people trillions of people everybody there is dead right yeah, because they're destroying a whole new branch of the multiverse. I keep They say it's resetting the timeline. That's a nice way to put it, right? Like, when they say reset, I, I'm like, oh, they're just putting everyone back into position one and starting over without the variant. But yeah, you're right. Billions of people are dying. Worse than Thanos. Isn't that bureaucracy, though? That They have these nice words or, you know, you're redundant. No, you mean I'm fired, you know? Like, 
the way of softening the blow as they go and do yeah these really callous things that impact millions of people and and meaningful ways. So yes, we aren't to know it yet, but I do think the real villain of this is going to be the TVA. The idea that anyone is trying to control time and make choices about who lives and who dies, you got to think of as a villain. Oh yeah, you know, you could talk about maybe the Wizard of Oz when you get towards further into the series, but I was definitely thinking of religious metaphors because there's so much talk about free will and people doing this because it's for the good of the universe and they're literally going to like go and see God at the end of this. And that they think the timekeepers are their creators. Yes. Everybody at the TVA believes they were created by the timekeepers on a mission from their God to keep the timeline sacred. So yes, there's a lot of theology going on here if you're looking. Right. We have a lot of people devoted to a cause that they don't quite understand. I do think that's a great metaphor for life in the 21st century. I do feel like a lot of us are going through jobs, doing things without really understanding all of the ways that it impacts so many millions of people. Mobius needs this Loki because what I hear you saying is he knows the killer is Loki because of this kid. He puts it together that the horns means it's another Loki. I think he's always known as a Loki. Sylvie has been out there plaguing them for, I dare say, millennia. But why would you think it's Loki and not somebody else? There's lots of variants of everybody. Yes, but they prune the variants. How many variants escape and then go on murder sprees? Yeah, this is the only one we know that escaped. Okay, so if someone's causing trouble, it's a Loki. Yeah, I think they all know he's hunting a Loki, and that's why Renslayer, when he approaches the bench and says, let's not prune this one, she knows he's been trying to hunt a Loki for a long time, and now that they have another Loki around, let's see if he can help out. All right. And so, yes, it starts the buddy cop relationship of Mobius trying to, and I think it's genuine. Like, yes, he wants to solve the case, but he also thinks that he's in love with the idea of free will, and that... When you're doing your job, whatever your job is, you might have a personal cause. And it seems to me like Mobius's personal cause is, we want to label all these Lokis as trouble. They're always bad. But can't they have the potential to be good? Could I actually be the person that could turn a Loki from bad to good is a nice character goal for Owen Wilson to have here. This episode gets very strange in the second half where it feels very meta, like they're just trying to justify to us that it's okay to have a series starring a murderous villain. I mean, we've seen Loki rip people's eyes out in Avengers. We've seen him literally stab people in the back. He caused the death of thousands in New York. They want to justify him being a hero now and bring him to the point where he was in... Infinity War on Fast Forward, and so you're going to have Owen Wilson ask him like half a dozen times, do you enjoy killing? Yeah, and I think for people like you, Arnie, that have watched these movies multiple times, like for me, I've watched them twice at the most, and so my last impression of Loki was like, oh, he gave his life. He stood up to Thanos and gave his life. He's been headed this way for a while. Yeah. Like, he's been turned heroic, at least since Dark World. Right, but he was taken from before Dark World, so you have to take this Loki on the different timeline and fast-forward him to where other Loki was. Yeah, my point is just that for audience expectation, they like Hiddleston. Again, he got a show. Like, he's charming. I think many people have seen him as an anti-hero, at the very least. 
but they've been rooting for him for a while. We have not seen him in the same way as Thanos. There is one moment, I believe in this first episode, where I really do feel for Loki because we know his whole thing has been the Tesseract and like he goes into this drawer where it's been put in there to be locked up as evidence. And there's just like infinity stones laying in there like pens and paper clips in an office drawer. <laughs> and like he realizes, oh, these things that I have fought my entire life for like have no power here. They're meaningless trinkets. Love it. Yeah, it's such a great moment. Yeah. Paperweights. I think the guy says, yeah, we just use it for paperweights. People were so pissed that they invested themselves in 20 movies about these stones and now they're a punchline. <laughs> I remember reading Vitriol online. Well, that's what's interesting about this series is that it takes place out of time and space. I mean, this is a god. Loki is the god of mischief, and even here he has no power. There is a gods above gods, it seems like, in this Marvel Universe. It seems like now this is the highest peak that we've hit. I mean, again, it's an existential crisis. Where does it end? Who is responsible? Who is the original practical joker we'll call God? Like, where is he? It is the search of this season and maybe this series. You're not going to always get that in Marvel. I think it's fun to have a world where that can be explored. Now, what do you guys think technically of this show? I think the art direction is absolutely beautiful. There's a lot of mid-century modern and steampunk ideas going on here. You mentioned a character named Mobius. He was a French animator. I don't know if you know his comic book work. Oh, yeah. Comic book illustrator, yeah. And the Mobius strip as well. Yeah, well, the idea that things come back in that optical illusion way. But specifically, the French artist, I feel like is a lot of the inspiration for the art direction. If you saw Fifth Element or the Dune movie they didn't make in the 70s by Joe Dorowski, like his conceptions, when they're staring out into that world and you're like, I don't know where up and down is. Like, you know, they had that scene where they're just walking down a hall and they look out a window and you just see, you could probably spend all day just like looking at every nook and cranny of that cityscape. That is Mobius. Yeah, I really love that shot of the TVA where... Yeah, there's ships flying and who knows what's going on. There's so much, but it's beautiful looking and it just, yeah, it might be more French inspired by Mobius, the comic book artist, but it took me back to Thor Ragnarok where it was very Kirby influenced, Jack Kirby influenced with the costumes and like, I do like that Marvel is just embracing that aesthetic, like that weird design aesthetic that was in so many of Kirby's comics that he did for Marvel. Like, I'm glad they feel comfortable enough that they could be weird now. Yeah, the show's really working. I love the design of the TVA. When we start getting to other places like Walmart, I'm not going to say that it's as beautiful a show. What I'm really taken by, though, in this very first episode, and it carries me through to the sixth episode, is the score for this. They have this ominous music, but it's also got this twinkling notes to it, and they've brought out the theremin again and have started using some of those sounds, which really matches the aesthetic of the TVA. Yes, it's a good-looking show, but that soundtrack is one of the best out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, period. At the same time, it's not quite an insult, but I, I have to recognize I'm noticing that, like... It's all green screen, too, right? Like, they didn't actually build anything. Oh, they built a ton. This is not the Mandalorian. It isn't? No, when they're looking out that window onto the cityscape, the cityscape is blue screen, but the hallway they're in and the walls, all real. When they're in the desert later on, they're in a real desert. Now, they're surrounded by blue screen to make it a sci-fi desert, but the ground they're walking on is real desert, and they actually went on location. 
You're talking about the planet, the mining moon that's going to blow up. Yes. Okay. Like, again, it wasn't a problem, but to me, it felt like a lot of it was, I was thinking maybe it was COVID inspired, (laughs) but like that they're doing everything on a soundstage. Frankly, it's how a lot of TV is made. So it's what I would expect. Oh, no. I mean, it's a soundstage with blue screen windows, but it's not like the Mandalorian where they built nothing. They are physically interacting and surrounded by walls and art direction and all of that. But happening in the same way, like WandaVision played with it in a different way by acknowledging TV's history of having studio sets. Like here, it it does feel a little stagey, right? You get the sense that even though this world is so expansive and beautiful, at the same time, it feels really boxed in. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of just sitting down and talking. And not that it has to be all action. I, I want to see different stories told and not just a big fight at the end, which this is going to end up being. But yeah, it feels like for a few episodes, there's a lot of sitting around. I'm surprised they didn't just throw up a green screen background because it doesn't need to look this beautiful for what they're putting up on the screen with the story. No, this first episode, for a first episode, to me, it lacks the hook. If it wasn't for Hiddleston, I don't know what in this first episode is really making me engaged in the story. Yes, I enjoy the early parts when he's going through the bureaucracy, but then when he has a 20-minute, 30-minute chat with Owen Wilson, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not loving it. And then the only hook is when Owen Wilson gives that dramatic delivery, the variant I'm looking for is you. That's the only thing to come back for is me thinking Tom Hiddleston's going to be playing multiple roles here. There's going to be many Tom Hiddleston's in this show. Well, maybe it's just that I'm a Doctor Who fan from all the way back to Tom Baker, but I'm just liking this kind of British absurdist, this is how time works world. Like, I'm really hooked. I'm surprised at how much I'm enjoying Loki after the first episode. And not just for it being funny and goofy, I think... Just dramatically, like it's working for me that Loki is being asked to be a better person. For much of the first half of this episode, he's trying to get away. He's trying to do his old tricks to slip out of his collar. But in the end, seeing the footage of how he ends up makes him wish to be better. I wonder if we couldn't do that for a lot of people. Like if we could show you how you're going to wind up, if we could (laughs) roll that tape, I bet you you'd be a better person. And I agree with you, Stuart, that this is interesting stuff, but I also agree with Artie, like, 20 to 30 minutes of this is too much. Get to the meat of it, and I feel like, well, we'll get in the next couple episodes, but I feel like we're going to get a lot of fluff in between this first episode and the end, but it's starting here. Like, it's a lot of talking, and I don't know, maybe it's good to have a recap of Loki's life for people like Stuart and myself that don't remember all these movies, don't watch them all the time, but I do feel it goes on a little too long. All right, let me just put this out then. It goes out long, I think, particularly for us because we're used to movies. And this could have been a movie, right? I feel like watching all six episodes, you could cut what you're calling fluff. I think it's just what you do when you make a TV series. You expand things and you linger on things. And not everything is going to be as interesting as the stuff that's really story-driven. I don't think anything in this first episode is meaningless or complete fluff. But I agree, it goes on longer than it would need to if you were trying to tell this in a two and a half hour movie. Would you want that? Would you wish, you say this is four and a half hours, Arnie. All they'd really have to do is cut out an hour, really, or maybe 90 minutes. 
just cut out episodes two through four. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely fat that could be trimmed here, but there's also really high moments. You know what I thought the show would be more of, and I wish it was more of? There's a brief moment, and it's unlike anything else in this entire series, where we find out that Loki is D.B. Cooper, who robbed the plane. (laughs) So weird, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, again, I like this first episode. I don't think they do anything that feels unentertaining. No, that's entertaining, but that's what I wish the show was more of. And in fact, that was, I later found out, an original concept for this show was going to be Loki interacting with history, quantum Loki, if you will. Yeah, I thought we were going to get a lot more time hopping and variants, and no, we're going to spend a lot of time on one planet. But the D.B. Cooper thing feels like a joke that they had from that old concept that somebody would not let go. (laughs) Like, I love this D.B. Cooper thing so much, we're going to do it. Maybe they even filmed it as, like, they thought they were going one way and this was a sizzle reel, and they're like, we have the footage, we're going to do the D.B. Cooper thing anyway, (laughs) because it's just so out of left field. Yeah. I mean, and it is that it was the mission of Doctor Who, too. Believe it or not, that show was greenlit originally as a history show. Like, the idea was that this old professor was going to take these kids all through time and teach them world events. It's going to be like the magic school bus? Yeah, we'd be educated. And then it became about (laughs) Daleks and Cybermen and other things. But they realized where the show really was. But I do think that that could have been what Loki was. I think what they've done instead is more interesting. I agree that that could have been... This series, episodic, each week we're at a different point in time exploring a dramatic moment in history, but I actually appreciate that it's like we're always hopping around and it's really about what's at the center of existence, that it's more existential in its quest and that we're going to literally go to the ends of time itself in this season, I think is a really neat opportunity. But first, it starts to feel like CSI. We need to go in the second episode. Loki's part of the team, and we're going to just go investigate another murder. The variant has killed some people at a Renaissance fair in 1985, Wisconsin. Yeah, you get the joke. You think they actually went back in time, but then it says 1985, Wisconsin. And I'm watching this the first time, and I'm thinking, wow, this looks so awful. You're like, where'd their budget go? Yes, and then it turns out it's a Ren fair. I'm like, ah, now I get it. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I didn't need the Bonnie Tyler holding out for a hero moment to score the attack. But yeah, I do think that, again, they're having funny, not always hilarious jokes, but yeah, wry jokes, things that make you smirk, if not laugh out loud. That is the British way in my mind. Holding out for a hero felt like it was having a moment or something, though, because this was used in an ad for the Guardians of the Galaxy video game right around the same time as Loki, right around the same time as, like, Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe Netflix series was using it in the trailers. That used this? (laughs) He-Man used this song? In the trailer for it, yeah. it's It felt like the summer of 2021 was the summer of Tyler. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I guess I wasn't as keyed into that. To me, it just felt like if you were trying to tell people it's 1985, yeah, this was the year Footloose came out, this song is from Footloose, and I don't know, the fact that it's the 80s doesn't really matter. It's just the joke that, like, yeah, we're seeing layers of time upon time. And yeah, we've now seen that this Loki variant not only has 
caused the death of a bunch of these Minutemen, but it's taken a hostage as well. That C-20 is a character that we're going to follow for the next couple episodes. We're to, again, almost like a CSI or something. We're investigating this case, this corpse. We're going to try and find out what happened to C-20. Yeah, CSI is not a good reference for me. Not a show I enjoyed. I've watched a few episodes. Like, I don't want a procedural. The whole point about CSI is that it doesn't have arcs and characters and plot. It just has mystery. So here, I feel like we're far away from that. We're still in a character-driven drama show. But yes, it's a cop show. Yeah, I mean, that's my point. What I'm going to give the compliment here is, I really thought that they were going to, what usually what you would want to do in the first episode of any new TV series is tell you what the rest of the series is going to be. Here's the formula we're going to follow. Here's the cookie cutter that will create this pattern week after week. And if you like the way that it looks and tastes, come back. We're going to keep serving you this. This Loki series, every episode feels different. Every episode is like we flipped it and now we're somewhere else and Loki is doing something else. And it really keeps you on your toes. But when I see this episode, I think, oh, this is a procedural. We're going to now have him working with Owen Wilson week after week looking at bodies. Yeah, because this is where they find out the big mystery of where this Loki variant is that she is hiding in apocalypses. Yeah, Loki figures that out in part because, well, he hasn't yet, but he knows he he had a meaningful moment where he looked at his future and knows about Ragnarok, knows about Thanos breaking his neck, knows that, yeah, his whole Asgard world is gone and can't come back. I think when he looks in the library files, there's something that gives some lip service to energy levels and what have you. That part of time cannot be changed. And I think that's why he wants to talk to the timekeepers. He really resents the idea that there's these three lizards somewhere making those kinds of choices. (laughs) You're going to tell me I can't have a home world anymore. Who are you to say that? I think there's that, but I also still think he has that desire to conquer that has been straight out of Avengers. You know, in Thor, he wanted to rule Asgard. And then in Avengers, he wanted to rule Earth. Now he's like, oh, forget both of those. I can rule the TVA. Yeah, this is a higher authority. Of course he'd want to be in charge of this. And that's the conflict we'll see between him and Sylvie later on is she wants to burn it all down. He just wants to rule. Yeah, that is interesting. When they finally meet at the end of this episode, you see that even though they're both Lokis, entirely different agendas, which is cool. But before we get there, yes, the procedural part of this episode two, the variant, is that Mobius is convinced by Loki, because if it's a variant, there should be one of those branches coming off the sacred timeline. They should be able to say, there the Loki is, and look at the timeline. They never see that activity because this Loki is living and hiding and jumping around world events where it doesn't matter what you do there because everything is going to be wiped out. So for our listeners in Alabama, you got to move. 2050 is coming. Apparently, this is an apocalypse event. Get out of Alabama. My sister lives in Alabama. (laughs) Okay, you probably want her to stay. (laughs) But she might not be alive in 2050. She's not young. No, I mean, they got some decades. It brings up the point, if you were in Pompeii 12 years before Vesuvius erupted, would you move? Or would you be like, hey, I got time. I don't know. But they do (laughs) have that little side joke about, like, just to prove our point, we're going to go back to 79 AD. It's a chance for Hiddleston to act wild and act like a real asshole, telling people they're fated to die and opening up their goat cages and what have you. The point is, we know for sure that, yes, you can do whatever you want. You can be a variant and hide very well in places that are about to be destroyed by volcanoes and hurricanes. 
And if you bring something anachronistic like that blueberry gum that the kid in France had, we can actually track to when that was manufactured and figure out where you might be next. That was kind of cool. That felt like a CSI moment. Like, oh, look at them putting something together. And where they go in Alabama is a rocks cart. It looks like a Walmart to me with the font and the colors. Yeah, a new chain that should be popping up in the next couple years so it could rule in 2050. It's Rocksbox, right? No, it's Roxxon, the Roxxon Corporation from Marvel Comics that's been popping up again and again in minor ways in the MCU. If you go back to the one shot of Agent Coulson, it's called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Thor's Hammer. He stops at Roxxon Gas Station, and if you looked at Iron Man 1, there's the Roxxon Corporation building and the LA skyline. Roxxon's been around the MCU. It's a major evil company in the comics. I'm wondering if they're slowly building us up to the idea of Roxxon. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, to here it just seems like a Walmart. And of course, they're still around in 2050. And they're selling this blueberry gum because it was only around for about four or five years. And because they know that a giant hurricane wiped out everyone here in Haven Hills, Alabama, this has to be where the Loki is. And we find out it can body hop. Like when they actually get into the store, it takes a while to see Sylvie. We have it hopping around between employees and one of the Minutemen that we've come to, well, I think resent, B-15. She never does this again, which is disappointing. It's like this scene from Shocker or that Denzel Washington movie, Fallen, but it never comes of anything again. She just body hops here and maybe she couldn't touch anyone after COVID. Yeah, she'll talk about like her enchantment powers and it's kind of the similar thing she'll do with Elioth at the end where, yeah, she could touch someone and get into their memories. Apparently, Loki... They all have different powers. All these variants, they don't have a consistent power set. Like, they all have different strengths. Right. I think that's cool. And again, it differentiates her. The idea that she's an enchantress and can mess with your mind. Does she mess with this Loki? Like, on one hand, he says, I'm too smart for that. She's going to try to seduce him. But in the end, they are going to fall in love. So I don't know whether that's her power or just his changing morality as he goes through this adventure. Is he falling in love or is he just so narcissistic? Is this some weird metaphysical masturbation? To me, that is the best love is self-love, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) if you can't fall in love with yourself, who can you love? I do like that about this. You could either see this as a very healthy, normal, commercial idea of falling in love makes you more giving as a person, or you could see this as, no, a narcissistic character is just doing exactly what you would expect them to do. They're going to call it out in the show, but, you know, when I'm watching this week to week, I am like, this just fits with his narcissism so well. But what we get out of this store moment is that, first of all, we find that C-20 was taken here and Sylvie seduced her, that she went into her mind to find out where... And I don't know why C-20 would be the Minuteman that would know where the timekeepers actually reside. But she gives up that if you go into the golden elevators, they're going to take you to the people that are responsible for the sacred timeline. She gets that out of her by creating this, I don't know, it looks like a TGI Friday's seduction with brain freeze drinks. That was a shock because you're coming into the third episode like this. And it's like I turned on a Shonda Rhimes show all of a sudden. 
Yeah, and I love that. Again, I want to stress how appealing that is, that you cannot get your bearings in the show. Every time that I'm like, oh, it's Doctor Who. Oh, it's a procedural. Oh, it's like Star Trek. And yeah, no, now it looks like a romantic comedy. Like, it just keeps you on your toes. It keeps reinventing itself and always throwing you into moments that are unexpected. I wonder if that's because you're viewing this as a TV show. And like you stated earlier, that that first episode sets the tone. And you expect all the other episodes to kind of follow that formula. Because for me, these are just long Marvel movies. So to me, it's playing more like a movie. I'm not blown away how it's changing tone. It's just like, no, that's how a story progresses. Because this is a four-hour Marvel film. I got to ask, how did you guys watch this? Because I watched this week to week as it came out. And then rewatched it start to finish for this recording. I binged it the first time because I thought we were going to do it. And I'll talk about that. Like when text started flying all around when I was in the middle of it. But yeah, and this this time rewatching it, I did it in two nights. Yeah, I saw the first three episodes, got the alert from Arnie that, do we need to do this? I don't think we should do this. And went, oh. And then I ended up seeing the other three like months later with my nieces. Because, like I mentioned, I hadn't seen the rest of it, and they were really into the show. So I did end up seeing the whole thing, but really kind of broken up. The first three in close succession, the last three at a point where I had forgotten everything that had been set up in the first three. And then for this recording, I did three one night and three the other. Okay, because I do think that also impacts how you see it. Watching this week to week really changed my perception of it a lot, and gave each episode's feel more emphasis. So when I'm saying that first episode with all the talking bothered me, it's because that's all the Loki I had for a full week. But then when the second Loki episode ended with seeing it's a girl Loki, I had a whole week of wondering, why do they look different? Why is it not all Tom Hiddleston? See, and I think that's the blessing of serialized television. You know, in this day of binging, yes, we can follow the threads better. Shows can be more complicated because they know that they're not going to lose the audience the way you lose an audience if you plot too much week after week and people miss an episode. And that can get really hard to follow a show if it's densely plotted and you only are watching, only checking in once every eight days. But I think... On the other hand, it allows you to imagine what's going on, to have that water cooler conversation, assuming you were still going into work. But I think ultimately it's probably a good idea to watch this in close succession. But when I think about you, Jacob, saying I treat it like one long movie, TV is not a movie. And I'm wondering if I saw this as a movie, I would probably be irritated with the pace. I would probably be like, boy, some of this doesn't need to be here. We need to get on with it. I treat these miniseries like a movie because I think that's what they are more or less. Like, well, we thought they were all telling a contained story until we got to Loki. Right. (laughs) But like right now, I've been working my way through The Sopranos because that prequel movie came out and I had never watched that series. And like I had to take a break and I'm back into it again and I'm going like doing like an episode or two like every few days. And so I get that with TV. These again, because this is the MCU, people are telling me that I'm not going to understand Ant-Man unless I see this Loki thing. Like, okay, it's got to be a movie then. Like you can't tell me I got to read a magazine and watch a TV show and read the back of a cereal box and watch these movies to get the whole universe. Like, no, this isn't Pokemon. I'm not going to collect them all. So you're telling me this counts. I'm going to treat it like a movie because that's the only way I could keep all this together. Because only movies count to you. In the end, you only want to see the movies. For this Marvel stuff, yeah. Like, I don't know if I would have watched any of this TV stuff if I wasn't on Now Playing. And Arnie, you would watch 
probably all the D plus shows, right? I'm guessing. Mm, it, only because they're from Marvel Studios. Are you watching What If? I did watch What If. I didn't watch, though, anything past season two of Daredevil, season one of Jessica Jones. Yeah, even those are a different thing to me. See, I didn't watch that stuff. But because you've got the movie actors involved in this, it feels more legitimate and more obligatory. Yeah, that's so I'm right about that. That The sacred timeline is the MCU, and as long as you don't hew too far from it, as long as you keep close to that, it makes the show appealing. But a show that isn't connected to the MCU and the larger movie stuff, if it's too different, you wouldn't necessarily be gravitating towards that. No, it might be appealing, but again, there's so much Marvel stuff. Even in a year when movies didn't come out, we got all this Disney Plus stuff we got to review. It's a lot, and I'm burned out on it. So, like, yeah, I'd rather pick and choose at this point. Let me just briefly say my philosophy about what I like about movies and what I like about shows and why they're different. A movie is some place you go to. It doesn't matter where it is for me. I'll go anywhere you ask me to go. It can be unpleasant. It could have the worst people involved. But I know it's a self-contained story. I know that when I go there, I'm going to see a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I'm going to be left with an impression. And so I'm very open to going to new places in a movie. Because it's a relatively limited commitment. A TV show is all about the characters. You got to like these people. You got to go through thick and thin. They're going to have some dull ass episodes. The (laughs) storylines are going to meander to places you don't care about. And what holds you to a TV show is loving the characters. And so that's really the difference is I don't have to like the characters in a movie the way that I have to like them to stay with the TV show. And my difference is that my problem with television is that it seems to exist to hook you for the next one. Even the best television shows to me feel like potato chips where they've injected just enough fat and salt (laughs) so that you must eat another potato chip. The whole bet you can't eat just one wasn't saying we're really tasty. It's saying we're manipulating you. Whereas a movie, you buy your ticket once, they have what they want from you, and they're going to give you an experience that feels... Better paced overall, but I do love television. I watch many TV shows. I just noticed that you can't treat these. And I thought when I was getting into WandaVision, oh, it's going to be one big movie. And then because it was so based on television, it wasn't. But then when I got to Winter Soldier, I'm like, okay, now I have a movie that's broken up over many weeks. That's not what this is. This is quite clearly paced like television, hooked like television and designed to bring you back next week. And I don't have an anti-television bias. I have a limited time here on Earth bias. And like, even with comic books, which I love, if it's a new series, now you're right, Stuart, with characters. Like, if it's Batman, I'm just buying Batman comics because I like that character or the Punisher. I want to read about him. But if it's a new series, you got five issues to hook me. Like, that is my limit. Your first story arc, typically five issues. If you don't hook me by then, I'm dropping it. Like, I'll give you a limited amount of my time and you got to hook me. And with TV, like, I'll give you two hours. That's the length of a movie. And if you haven't hooked me by those two hours, I'm gone. I got to move on to something else because there's too much stuff out there. I cannot consume it all. We got to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is it was very easy for me after the third episode to stop watching this because I wasn't really into Loki as a character. And, you know, because you had already told me the storylines aren't going to wrap up and I'm not going to be rewarded for who's at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. 
I really felt like, oh, well, okay, I'll just finish it some other time. And that ended up being months later. Well, you hit episode three. Episode three is the episode I cannot watch in one sitting. I have tried twice now. (laughs) Both times, episode three is so dull and so painful and so useless that I have turned it off at almost the exact same point both times because I just feel like Jacob's I have only so many minutes of my life bias that I felt like there were better things for me to be doing and then returned both times because I felt like I had to. One, I had to for now playing the time before I had to because I wanted to continue watching the Loki series. But episode three is bad. Yeah, three for three for episode three, because when those texts started going around, oh, this isn't a limited series, this is a TV show, I think I just finished episode three, I was going to episode four, I'm like, I am happy to stop watching at this point if we're not going to do this. Yeah, that's what happened, is like, literally, you asked me, do you want to review this? I had just finished episode three, I'm like, I mean, I wouldn't use the word bad. I would just say, oh yeah, this feels like TV and following characters that I'm not totally hooked into, and... Again, if it's not going to somewhere specifically, if in three episodes it doesn't wrap up, then no, I wouldn't need to watch this. Although I want to stress at the same time, I'm enjoying it in ways that I didn't expect to. It's pretty good TV. It's just not very satisfying if you're wanting the movie version of Loki's story. And yeah, this lamentous episode is what it's called, named so for the fact that Loki and Sylvie, in her attempts to crash the TVA, Loki ends up pulling her to one of her apocalyptic hiding places and breaking her Tim pad so that they can't get off. And they are stuck on a moon that is about to be crashed by a planet for some reason. Yeah, I was trying to think this was, like, did Thanos do this? I remember him, like, bringing a planet down on Iron Man or something, but I guess this is totally unrelated. Not sure why a planet would fall on a moon. I would think the other way, more likely. (laughs) But, yeah, it's, here's what it is. It's an opportunity to slow down a little bit and see Loki and Sylvie play with one another. And I guess it all comes down to, Arnie, I'm going to ask you first. What do you think of Sylvie and the chemistry and the things that she brings out of Loki? I come to like this character. I don't think the whole series was filmed chronologically or anything, but they did film certain scenes in relation to others, you know, schedules and what have you. And I feel like she maybe got better in the role in later episodes, or maybe I just like her when she's not being quite so antagonistic and just unpleasant on screen but in this episode where they're on that planet and I feel like I should like this episode because they go on a train ride it's kind of reminding me of the Zeppelin scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade Loki's getting drunk and singing these are things that if you told me these are all happening I'd be like oh my god I can't wait to see it But I think because nothing else is happening, and this is the episode where we're supposed to believe these two jaded villains fall in love. And I don't know that I ever really get that off of either of those actors. Maybe more Hiddleston than Sophia Martino. What about you, Jacob? I feel like there's been a lot of back and forth with different characters. What makes Loki a Loki? I mean, it was too much in the first episode, and we're going to get a whole lot of that slowed down on this train ride that doesn't matter, that, like, none of this episode matters. Like, Loki's going to try to come up with this metaphor that love is like a dagger, and they're going to go for something real deep, and then they're going to, oh, that's stupid, the terrible metaphor, we'll throw that, like, they're not even committed to this relationship. 
it feels like the episode that's the rom-com. Like, it does feel like the screwball comedy where two people that can't stand each other go on a road trip, and by the end of it, they realize that they're the perfect match for each other. Like, that's a classic formula that I do like when it's done well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, check out The Sure Thing from Rob Reiner and John Cusack. Great movie. I wish these people had watched it before trying to make this. Right. I'm going to also say that. Yeah, they're doing a lot of different things in this Loki show, but they're not doing them all equally well. I am enjoying the wry British comedy a lot more than the falling in love stuff. And I'm trying to figure out why. I was hoping and listening to you guys, and I think, Arnie, something I'm connecting with what you said is... Yeah, Sylvie is just not, I'm not falling in love with her or even hating her. I'm not feeling it from her. I'm not sure why. I think Hiddleston is actually pretty good. I'm being won over by Tom Hiddleston, which is an amazing accomplishment because I really have not enjoyed him in most things. But what is the crux of this show for the rest of the run of this is the fact that Hiddleston has either fallen in love with himself or another person for the first time. Yeah, and this Sophia DiMartino, I've seen her in one other thing, the movie Yesterday from Danny Boyle. Oh, yeah. You know, she's a very minor character in that. I don't remember her in that movie. I kind of liked that movie. I, was, I thought it worked. Yeah, I thought she was fine in that. But here, I don't know if it's miscasting or just pushing her out of her element into this costume superhero stuff where she has to wear the leather and fight with the... right. The fight scenes, her fight scenes are all terrible, right? Like, you can just feel when they cut to the stunt double. It's just not convincing. Yeah, because you only see the back of her head. And there's so much quick cutting in the fights, especially this fight on the train is chopped like a salad. I can't believe just how unexciting the fight is. And I think that's part of the problem with this episode is it drags because there is so much talking while they walk slowly on this planet that's dying, and any time they try to give a little bit of excitement with a fight or something, it is not well done. But yes, unfortunately, Sofia DiMartino is going to be not a huge problem, but a blemish on this Loki series. Yeah, a miscasting. Why did they go with her? Like, I know TV, you can't get movie stars. It doesn't need a movie star. It just needs someone with presence. There's tons of people for this. TV can get movie stars now, and if you're Marvel and Disney, you definitely can. I was surprised. Like, I looked up this actress. I'm like, okay, she's obviously been in something big because she got cast as one of the main roles. I'm like, oh, no. Yesterday, didn't see it. Like, a movie I recognize, but I'm like, this is a nobody. I don't know who this is. I was surprised. Yeah. It it could be her first role, and great for you. Like, I can see why you get the role if, like, you really nail it. But yeah, this is a romantic comedy where chemistry is everything and they don't got it. And I do like Sylvie, though, because she is a Loki variant. And she again, she wants to burn the TVA down. Loki wants to rule it. Like, I'd rather burn things down than rule it. So, like, I kind of gravitate towards that. I wish they would have played with that more. Like, why are they different? But we never get that much insight, I feel. Like, that is a problem. You're going to spend four and a half hours. You're going to do this like a TV show where you could really bring these things out. I don't get enough about her especially when we get to episode four and see your backstory. I don't know anything about her. Yeah, that is where you get it. It's like the opening of the fourth episode because they leave you on a cliffhanger with the third one of like, oh, they're not getting off this planet and they're going to die. It's fun to just like jump somewhere else. Where are we going to go? And we see a little girl who gets taken. We'll eventually figure out it's Sylvie 
What's her Nexus event? She wasn't supposed to play with those toys she was playing? Like, it should be something big. This is a problem for me with this whole thing, is if you're going to prune the whole thing anyway, and if you're taking somebody in because they are the variant, and then you're just going to find them guilty and prune them anyway, I don't know why you don't just prune to start with. I don't think they'll ever find anybody innocent, because once you have to prune the timeline, you can't put them back anywhere, or else you're causing a Nexus event. So, I suppose it goes back to the whole bureaucracy thing, but unfortunately, that kind of humor doesn't work when you start to try to apply it here. The closest we're going to get is later, she's going to ask Renslayer, what was my Nexus event? And Renslayer's like, I don't even remember. Yeah, I guess season two, maybe we'll find out. Maybe, but here's my take on it. This is Loki as a woman, the only time that that's happened. All the other variants have been male. I think that's it. I don't know the sex of that alligator. Okay, fair enough. But this is the universe saying, oh, we don't like this. We don't like when they flip genders and they do this other thing. You know, we're experiencing that moment in pop culture right now. We're having a lot of iconic characters get a gender swap. Or come out, you know, Superman, he's bisexual now. That just got announced recently. Loki's bisexual too, if you listen to the show. Well, and in the comics, they even play with him being transgender because he can shapeshift and become a woman. I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. And again, maybe you can make that work, but I also feel like, yes, we're at a moment where we're really experimenting with the way that we used to confine characters to a certain type and now saying, what if we do something radically different with them? Well, it makes them a different character. And I think a lot of people get angry when they take characters that they know, not necessarily what they do with them, but the fact that they don't make them the way that they associate with them. I think that's why this universe wants to get rid of her. You're not what we think of when we think of Loki. There's nothing about you that's Loki. And in fact, she won't call herself Loki. She'll call herself Sylvie. Yeah, I wish that would have been a point in the show then, because they really do not give a reason. And they want to get rid of Loki himself, so it's not like they like male Lokis but don't like female Lokis. Yeah, and looking at the TVA, Renslayer, African-American, like B-15, like this is a diverse cast, so it doesn't feel like this is supposed to be some commentary. Like, you nerds are too white, heterosexual, like with your characters, and that's got to change, and like... I wish there was some kind of commentary going on with Sylvie. They don't give me a backstory. You have four and a half hours to do it. This is a TV show. Do it. This is upsetting that she played with a toy and that somehow got us to the Nexus event. Well, no, I mean, that's when they showed up to take her. I took it as almost the Nexus event is that she was a girl. Yeah, she was born. That this was going to be the Loki. We do not want this future. Nope, we are erasing all of this. If you're in a multiverse with infinite universes, then there's girl Lokis. I don't know. I don't buy it. They could be pruning all of them, though. This is a very busy TVA. Then you make that a point. Watch out, Natalie Portman. If it don't go well for you next year, <laughs> you're not going to be Thor no more. Owen Wilson's coming for you. <laughs> Season two, erasing you. <laughs> but anyway, again, my problem really isn't that they don't give her enough. Because again, the thing you can always say, it's irritating but true. It's a TV series. They can get to it eventually. We don't need to know it within the time frame of the season one. We could learn who she is at some point down the road. Whereas in a movie, you got to arrange all of that in a way that it plays and we get it and we feel satisfied. But my more difficult struggle is the fact that I really do want to like what she's bringing out of Loki. And I really do like the way Loki is changing, but I don't really like their scenes together. Like, yeah, it's a lot of walking around being cranky 
And maybe it's the wit, too. Like, I don't feel like the sparring repartee. That stuff that is so good in a good romantic comedy, so essential, it ain't here. I was just thinking when I was watching that episode again, if they're trying for Spencer and Tracy, they failed miserably. I think they want to be the sure thing, Arnie. I think that's exactly what this writer, I know that she works on the Four Weddings and a Funeral TV series. This is her bag, is romantic comedy. Maybe it's not. (laughs) Or maybe she just had a bad day. Like, I'm just not loving this third episode. And I don't know that I ever come around totally to Sylvie. Although I like what she represents. I agree with you 100% down the line. And it's not going to be ruinous for the series. I don't even hate her. It's just, I don't like her enough To me, she's not a Loki, because I like a Loki. (laughs) Right. So if Hiddleston died at the end of this and season two was Sylvie Loki, like, you would not be jazzed for that. I kind of feel like, were it not for name recognition, this series would be better titled Sylvie. And many times throughout the series, Sylvie's going to tell Tom Hiddleston, and in episode one, Renslayer tells Tom Hiddleston, this isn't about you. And I'm like, that's right. This really isn't about Tom Hiddleston. Or expanding the idea of Loki. I mean, isn't that what phase four of the MCU is? Like, it's Black Widow, but not the Black Widow you think. And it's Captain America, but not the Captain America you think. It's Thor, but not the one you like. That is phase four of the MCU. And to be fair, all of the actors that are playing all these parts... Eventually, one day, we'll either age out of it or not want to do it anymore, and they will have to find a variant to take over for them. So should this Tom Hiddleston want to leave the Loki show, we have created room to still keep going with new characters. I hope it's the Gator. (laughs) The Gator is the breakout star of this, yeah. I I mean, I guess. It's sort of just a one-note joke, but we haven't gotten to the Gator yet. We're on episode four, I think, and they break their own rules. This is, I think, the biggest problem I have with this series, at least script-wise, is that they told us very specifically there is nothing coming off the sacred timeline when it's happening at an apocalyptic event. There's nothing that you could do that would create a branch. And yet, them falling in love creates the branch that brings the Minutemen that gets them their rescue. That's how you know how strong their love is, Stuart. Don't you get it? Mm, No, it shouldn't matter because you're all going to be wiped out. That was the rule. Masturbation is so strong that it creates a nexus event in an apocalypse. That was me in my high school years, yes. But I have to say, I agree with you, Stuart. This is really cheesy. And especially since it doesn't come back. And again, I maybe some of this is COVID, maybe this was a convenience that had to be rewritten, or maybe they had this... To me, it seems like they've discovered their real superpower is love together, and that they need to utilize that later on to cause a Nexus event and save the universe or overcome the timekeepers or what have you. But the fact that A, it breaks the rules, and B, it is Chekhov's Nexus event that never comes back... Really, everything that happens on Lamentus, I have nothing but lament to say about it. I can only lament it. No, if their love is so powerful, it creates this Nexus event, that should play out throughout the rest of the series. Like, it should mean something. I don't mind that they're breaking the rules if they're saying, oh, this is something so special, it's going to break the rules, but... It's got to do something by the end of this. There should be Nexus events sprouting up wherever they go because they have these feelings now. 
Or at the very least, I got to think that these two actors have special chemistry that, like, you can feel. How could you deny their love when you watch them together? Yeah, no, I don't feel like they're in love. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not feeling that. So, again, I can't even help this along and say, okay, I'm going to go with it. I go, nope, you betrayed me. But we're on to a new thing. Like, as I've said, we're on episode four. Now we're in Groundhog Day. Now we find <laughs> out that Mobius is going to lock Loki in a time cell and he's going to have to eternally live down the moment he cut Sif's hair and she beat the crap out of him. Yeah, Lady Sif, I guess this actress didn't have a conflicting schedule. She couldn't show up for Thor, but she could show up here. Hey, she got out of her blind spot. Is that show even still on NBC? But that's why she couldn't do five minutes to die in Thor 3 or because she was smart because I think she might be coming back for Thor 4. She's coming back here for an eternity of kneeing you in the balls. And this is based off an actual Norse myth. Loki did cut off all of Sif's hair and Thor beat Loki until Loki agreed to do some stuff for Thor in Norse mythology. So they're not just having him cut hair for no reason. And it is a bit Groundhog Day because I do think Bill Murray going through the patterns of his behavior ends up teaching him his personal failings. I do think it's more than just Pratt Falls and physical comedy that Hiddleston is experiencing here. Like Loki does end up apologizing for being a narcissist. And I think it's legitimate. I think he really does see that other people see him as cruel and and likes to hurt people. And he's starting to feel misunderstood because that's not why he does things. And he will even tell Mobius that, like, I'm the weak one. You know, like, we're really seeing a character transform. Arnie, do you like that? You used to like the old Loki as villain. Do you like seeing him atone? I do like seeing him atone. What I don't like is the fact that what's making him atone is Sif is constantly telling him, you're alone and you always will be. And this is right after he finally found love. And now he feels like he's going to be alone forever. And that's what's causing the atonement. It's not that he regrets cutting her hair. It's that he doesn't like being told you're alone and you always will be because you're a bad person. There is that because Mobius does for a brief time, teases the idea that they have pruned Sylvie and that she's just gone. And at this point, we don't know that there's anything after pruning. We think she's dead. And yeah, this is where they figure out, oh, you fell in love with her. That was the meaning of that Nexus event. We were wondering why you guys were producing that. And it's the fact that you've fallen in love with yourself. And speaking of Mobius, I do think part of the reason I really disliked episode three is it didn't have Mobius in it at all. Owen Wilson is very necessary to keeping this show balanced because he brings a lightness to it that was just gone from episode three. So the one episode without him is the episode I like least, and I don't think that's coincidence. And so something later on here had me very scared for the series. Yep. Owen Wilson does seem tamed down to me in this series. Again, I don't think we get a wow from him. Not one. We get a few other things, but never the wow. Yeah, I, I don't. And maybe the actor is trying to take on different roles and he knows what his image is and trying to move away from that. But I do feel like, I mean, he looks older, like Owen Wilson has aged. and That's a wig, but yeah, he wanted this look. Yeah, so it just, I think Owen Wilson and this Loki, Tom Hiddleston, like, I would think more jokes and more yucks and just more comedy. And it is kind of a surprise that that's not what this is. 
Yeah, he kind of feels like he did in Midnight in Paris, the Woody Allen movie. When he was playing Woody Allen, he's sort of this nevish guy that's lost in a bureaucracy. and He just loves jet skis. Yeah, it's the real shock of this. Again, it could happen later in another season, but I'm like, oh, they're telling us he's going to wind up in the 90s on a jet ski. Does not <laughs> happen. But he is the last to realize that he had a life on Earth and that it's been taken from him. He believes... That if he ever gets on a jet ski, he's going to create a Nexus event. But for some reason, which the reason is that he used to ride them and enjoyed them, he can't rectify the idea that he's had this other life taken by the timekeepers. Yeah, that's going to be the big reveal. C20 earlier when she had that memory of heavy margaritas or whatever, like that was an actual memory. So they had a former life. And so... Who do they decide to prune and who do they decide to make a TVA agent? Because they're all going to be variants working at the TVA, but they're also pruning people. I guess if you don't fall in line, you get pruned. Yeah, maybe that is why they have the trial. You know, I said they prune everyone. Maybe the trial is you don't get pruned, you get rehabilitated and your mind wiped. Yeah. And who knows what those qualities they're looking for in employees. My guess is lack of ambition or easily manipulated. Are they even hiring? Mm. I don't know. It seems like a very big place. It seems like you would always be needing new people. Oh, this is my life. I work for a government bureaucracy, like paperwork, printing out pointless pieces of paper, having them signed for like, no one understands why they need to be signed. Like I do live this every day. (laughs) Yeah, I've had for many years to support myself, had to take temp jobs. I've been in, in lots of environments where I just see the existential crisis can be very high in some of these corporate environments. And so, yeah, Owen Wilson is suffering, but he doesn't quite know it yet. It takes Loki telling him, hey, this isn't what you were meant for. And if you, you know, if you really woke up, you would realize that you are controlled by these timekeepers. It's going to send him on a mission that gets him pruned. But before that, he is going to look up what happened to C-20 and realize that his friend, the judge Ravona, really is keeping secrets from him. Yeah, he... Goes in and, you know, you. I've never liked Ravona because in the very first episode, you see Mobius and Ravona having drinks. And one thing that Mobius says is, you do have a very nice trophy display for all the trophies you've gotten for people I've captured. Yes, the fact that she gets essentially the credit for all of his drudgery is setting up the idea that, yes, this is not an equal relationship and that the employees are not going to be rewarded their tools their sacrificial lambs and speaking of the relationship what is the deal with the like water stain the rings from the cup like they focus on that a lot i'm trying to you know circle okay that could be like time no beginning no end is that all it is yeah that was the way i took it it was just a visual metaphor of like we'll later see all of existence is one big circle around the citadel I literally took it as a sign that Mobius doesn't take orders well. He will be the one to rebel most because he can't even put a coaster under his drink no matter how many times she tells him. I kept waiting there would be some event and like that ring would be gone all of a sudden. And I don't know. They just focus on it so much. Yeah. And again, we already mentioned many times now, whatever they had planned for this series did get reduced. So maybe things were set up that don't happen. They specifically said some stuff between Ravona and Mobius was not able to be done. Mm, okay, so we're on to something there. This has been lost. It has been pruned. There's a very important coaster subplot to this series. <laughs> it's okay. The important part of this is she's going to end up like, yeah, 
taking her little staff and melting him. He's going to come to Loki and say, you're right. I'm ready to burn down the system. Walks out of that meeting and she's waiting and kills him, essentially. That's the way it feels anyway. Yes, I was so upset because I was realizing how much he was important to the series. And I thought there's going to be episodes five or six without him. I was ready to riot. (laughs) Well, it was meaningful. I mean, I always think it's important. If you're going to kill a character, make us feel it. Make it matter. And so if you're Yondo or something like that, like, yeah, I'll be bad if Owen Wilson's not in the rest of it. But I can accept it because if it counts, and this is certainly a moment where you feel like, oh, Ravona is beyond redemption. But no, I'm thinking about episode three and how much that one sucked without Owen. I'm thinking the series will suck without Owen. But this is an episode that's going to tell you a lot of what you're assuming is wrong. Because yeah, Mobius, he's out of the picture, maybe, because we assume pruning means you're dead forever. But we're also going to meet the timekeepers, and they're not going to be what we thought they were. They're exactly what I thought they were, honestly. You thought they were Chuck E. Cheese animatronic puppets? I thought that they were the Wizard of Oz. I really did the whole time. For several weeks before this episode aired, I'm like, I want to see the person behind the curtain. All this talk about the timekeepers, the timekeepers, and they're not showing them to us. They're statues. They're like iconic representations all over the place. But yeah, Owen Wilson has never met them. Mobius keeps saying, I want to have a meeting with them. And we see Ravona come out of their council chamber one time so she meets them and actually falls for their little act but i felt like there was somebody behind the curtain that we were waiting to see and i didn't know if it was ravona renslayer or not i thought it might be her because when she does walk out she has such a determined look on her face i'm like is she the one keeping up the act I actually think that's the way that it plays to me, is that she more or less kind of knows that these aren't gods, at the very least. But she's trying to, it keeps order. It may not be a perfect world, but it's a functioning world that's running, and I know what my role is in this world, so I'm just going to keep it going in this direction. Yes, it is organized religion. (laughs) That is how I take the, I get the Wizard of Oz reference, like this, yeah, it definitely applies to this scene, but I do feel like this is confronting God. I love Sylvie here, just cuts the head off, like, I'm like, yes, (laughs) God is dead. Well, he's just a robot. And and maybe that's all God is anyway. Just some AI. This is all a simulation we're in. Well, you know, sci-fi, if that's what this has become. Again, this has been so many things, Loki, as genres have morphed in and out. But yeah, if this is Planet of the Apes or Wizard of Oz or Zardoz, there's always that moment where the curtain comes down and you realize the thing that we were worshiping, the carnival or Logan's Run. You know, there's so many. You almost really, in the 70s anyway, you would expect to have this twist where the world was set up to follow something that ended up being a lie. That is the problem with a supposed utopias is that they're built on somebody's pain that is disguised. And here, yeah, I think we needed this moment. Now, unfortunately, because I took the break in between the first three episodes and the last three episodes, I had heard from somebody, I think, Jacob, you were very excited about this plot detail. It was spoiled <laughs> for me that this was coming. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, yes, when we're going back and forth in the text, I'm like, very brave of Disney to, to do such an anti-religious film, like, where we're going to kill God, Yeah. <laughs> You seemed very excited about what was happening in the future, and I was... I don't expect that from Disney. (laughs) Yeah, I agreed, and you shouldn't, but you should expect it for any movie that tells you this is a utopia that doesn't feel right. 
it feels like at some point the wheels come off and we go, oh. And so I feel like it was going to be exposed that this was a bad way to keep time. But I don't know if I would have known that the lizards were robots. Yeah, and, you know, I had to turn on subtitles when they were talking. I felt like something was very modulated there. They didn't sound like organic alien voices. So I just had this feeling the whole time that they weren't really... I don't feel like this show is too coy with its references and what it's paying homage to. So here, when that robot head comes down, it was like, okay, now let's see who's behind the curtain. I never expected I'd have to wait another episode and a half for it, but we get the best action scene of the series here, the sword fight in the chamber. Oof, that's the best. It is the best. Yeah, I'm just like, let's get past these action scenes. Let's get back to whatever weird story you want to tell me. Every action scene is unimpressive. And more specifically, these actors don't feel like they've had enough rehearsal time. Maybe it is COVID. They can't get near each other. Yeah, they had to be six feet apart as they practiced. They weren't. They, I actually saw the behind-the-scenes footage of them. They weren't six feet apart, but they were all wearing masks, and that seems like a shitty way to do cardio. Yeah, they do not feel this is really bad fight choreography, and that's okay because I'm not treating this like an action show. It's not important the way that it would be in a Marvel movie that I believe these action scenes. What's more exciting is the development that, yeah, we're yet again spinning off in a new direction and that everything that we thought has now become something else. And the shock here is Loki, he's going to get pruned and we're going to get the best hook in a post credit scene to get me to watch that next episode. Yeah, we haven't had post credit scenes at this point yet. And I felt good when Loki got pruned because I'm like, okay, I actually believed they would kill Owen, but I don't believe they'd kill Hiddleston in episode four, maybe episode six, but not episode four. And so I'm like, okay, this means Owen's not dead. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm watching them in close succession because I don't have that curiosity you do have week after week. I don't know. Which did you prefer, Arnie? Do you prefer to binge or do you prefer the contemplation that comes from spending six weeks thinking about a series? I think I prefer the binge. I think mini shows are better when binged because overthinking can actually harm a show sometimes. And ending on a bad note like episode three gives me seven days of thinking this series isn't very good. Yeah, it depends. I think for modern stuff, because a lot of it does come through streaming, I think it's designed to binge. But again, I'm watching The Sopranos, and like that is not designed to binge. Like That one, I like taking a day off between episodes or, or a couple days off. I do feel like that's just a different era of television in this modern one because of streaming services. It's to get you to just watch all of it just in a row. But they're releasing this weekly. They knew by this point they were releasing them weekly. And so, again, that's why they have to hook you to come back for the next episode. If it was right there, you might be much more tempted to push play than to come back next Wednesday, John Landis, and push play again. And I think that you can take risks here because it's only six weeks. No one's going to quit this series. Everyone's going to finish it if you start it. Like, it's just... Mm -mm. I know a lot of people who bailed. Really? Like, with this level of commitment, six weeks? I will give even a mediocre show that. I would have bailed after episode three if I didn't have to watch it. <laughs> it's a matter of investment. It's a matter of there's so much to watch when you sit down and turn on your Apple TV that they just forgot that this series existed. Okay, well, I get your point. And so I do agree with what I hear you guys saying. For this series, you're better off taking 
a day, two days, three days at most, and getting it all in. Just push through. If you feel like something's not working, hold tight. It's going to change pretty soon. It'll be something else. Yeah, I'll say what does work is when Black Thor and Old Thor and Gator Thor show up at the end for some reason. I'm sorry, he's not Black Thor, he's Boastful Thor. I know, and I called him Old Loki, he's classic Loki. (laughs) I'm playing Identity Lokis here. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Richard E. Grant was a nice surprise. I do feel like if you were going to cast what Tom Hiddleston could become in 20 years with a lot of alcohol... Like, Richard E. Grant would be it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen With Nall and I, but it's this classic British alcoholic buddy comedy from the 80s, and it's really his signature role. He plays a drunk better than just about anybody. Yeah, I figured he was some British actor that I hadn't heard of, but I do love, like, he is classic Loki because he is wearing that original Loki costume from the comics, like those huge horns, the skin-tight clothes. It is ridiculous looking, and I love it. That's the thing is, he asked the director and the writers, am I supposed to be an old Tom Hiddleston? And they said, no, absolutely not. You're the guy right from the comics. You're from the 616 universe. You're the one who fought in Avengers issue one. You're just that over-the-top spandex wearing. He's like, well, then do I get a muscle suit like that guy? Oh, no, no, you're just going to wear spandex. (laughs) But I love that they're embracing the comic outfits in these TV series. We've now had Wanda and Vision in their comic outfits, and now we have Loki in his comic outfit. Yeah, we even have Kid Loki here, who is kind of a good guy in the comics. He's a young Avenger. Like, again, you could call him the identity politics Avenger. You have Miss America, who's Hispanic and bisexual, I believe. And yeah, Kid Loki, because he could shapeshift. They play with transgender issues. Like, it is the more woke version of the Avengers. Yeah, I don't think there's a straight white person on the whole team. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, because you have Wanda's, one of her twins, like, who's gay. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, Wiccan and Hulkling, and Hulkling is the, like, transgender, yeah. And Kid Loki's Nexus event, it gets stated, they all have been vaporized by the TVA for reasons, because I guess they're just out for all Lokis. But Kid Loki's specific Nexus event was that he killed Thor. So that definitely sounds like a future What If episode. Yeah, and when we, you know, they'll have this underground lair and we get this shot going through the dirt and we see Mjolnir or some version of it like buried in the dirt. So I'm like, is that that Thor? And some little Thor. There's like a frog Thor. And Frog Thor actually is riveted by Chris Hemsworth. They got him to do a line. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. And Marjorie is so sharp-eyed, she caught Frog Thor in the first pass. I'm like, there was Frog Thor in that crowd? I had to rewind. And she's like, look, there he is. Yeah, I had heard that Frog Thor shows up. The first time I watched this, I missed him. I don't know where he showed up. This time I did catch him. He's like caught in a jar. He's trying to jump out to get to that Mjolnir <laughs> underground. <laughs> This is the first and only time I've seen this episode, so I I caught it, but I guess I can't brag too much because I didn't notice he was a frog. You gotta get a big television so you can see that he's a frog. (laughs) I thought it was actually Thor. Like, he's got the Thor outfit on, but you're telling me that is a actual frog wearing it. He is a frog. This is from the comics. They call him Throg. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what that means, and maybe I don't even want to, but... It's from an issue where Loki, he's a trickster god, he turned Thor into a frog. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Alligator Loki, new creation, Frog Thor, that's from the comics. Okay, all right. There's a lot of fun Easter eggs in this The Void. As we get into the best episode of the Langoliers? (laughs) (laughs) CGI's a lot better, I'll give it that. Yes. 
I don't know if you noticed the Thanos helicopter that's there. That's from the comics. That was a fun Easter egg. <laughs> I saw it in a screenshot online. I missed it when watching. I mean, I'm noticing more things like the Golden Gate Bridge is there and whatnot. But yeah, the Sphinx is there. That's definitely an Easter egg for He Who Remains. Here's what I'm going to say about this episode. I feel like it doesn't reach its potential because it's over too fast. Yeah. Yes. And maybe that's been the series in general. Like, if you love the romantic comedy stuff of the third one, you're probably pissed that you're not getting more Hiddleston and Sophia. I love this episode because we get all these Lokis, and this is for the first time since the first one where I've really got that Monty Python vibe again. I'm feeling a lot of Time Bandits here when we get all these Lokis together, and they're just dysfunctional like all those little people in Time (laughs) Bandits. But yeah, I want more. The fact that we got Loki for president, and that was in the trailer, and again, I didn't know there were going to be multiple Lokis. I thought that we were actually going to have Tom Hiddleston running for president in some alternate universe, which I would have loved to have seen. But no, the fact that no Loki can be loyal. Every single Loki is going to betray the other Lokis. It's great. Like, this tells me more about what a Loki is than the previous four episodes where they keep bringing that up. No, Loki, he can't even trust himself. Like, he is that awful. Like, he will betray himself, even though you have this whole team of them. Totally dysfunctional. Like, alligator Loki biting off the hand of, I don't know, what is that you're calling him President Loki? Mm-hmm. I like this stuff, but at the same time, I feel like... You could call this all filler because a lot of these characters go away. A lot of this doesn't amount to anything in terms of like where the story is going. They're just basically yeah stuck in limbo. And by the end of the episode, it feels like really quick. We have Sylvie popping in here to whisk them away to the next place. Yeah, it turns out I prefer fun filler to boring plot. Or boring filler, like, sitting around on that planet. Well, that's what I was considering the plot. You had to have them falling in love there. That matters. Why? It doesn't matter. That (laughs) never matters throughout the rest of this. And let's be clear. It's not like I worship plot. Like, yes, it's great to have structure. But in the end, we live for moments on film, whether they're essential or not. It's those things that are unexpected, that catch us by surprise and delight us. That's why we end up... I think loving the movies we do is not because they have the best plots. This has a lot. It feels like this episode, if I watched it again, I would probably pick up on hundreds of little things that I missed the first time. Yeah, plot is only a problem when you're not enjoying something. And I realized, like, watching things with my girls, they really grasp onto character. They do, like, TV series. They're into all that Mike Flanagan stuff now because of House on Haunted Hill. Like, they've been watching Midnight Mass, all that. But they are always gravitating towards characters, and that would pulls them through. And I, I guess that's a problem for me here. Yeah, we've talked about the problem with Sylvie. Maybe not the greatest character, but even Loki or Mobius. Like, these aren't, they're not great characters that are pulling me through. So when I just get these crazy moments of all these Lokis fighting, I'm like, yeah, I'm having a good time now with this. I, I I haven't really had a fun time where I'm just smiling because of all the chaos going on. It's just so telling that these are the scenes, President Loki and D.B. Cooper Loki. These are the things they put in the trailer to be like, look, this show's going to be fun and crazy. And then when you watch it, yes, the TVA is a little bit fun and crazy, but the whole Sylvie plot stuff just drags it down a little bit. I like the idea of Sylvie. I just don't really like the chemistry of the actors. That's where I'm landing on this. I like the idea, the theme of this series. The thing you can say about every episode is he's always exploring different aspects of himself and what, who he is and soul searching. Who do I want to be? By the end of this series, even though it's not a complete story, I do feel like he has made the choice 
to be a more moral person, to not trick people and manipulate. You could be as cheesy as saying he's doing it for love or love of himself. But in the end, I do believe that we'll see an altruistic character that's more superhero than villain going forward. We do see a selfless Loki. Classic Loki does sacrifice himself so that Loki and Sylvie can enchant Elioth. And it's a great moment. Like, it's no Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but, like, I feel for classic Loki. Like, they were just going to walk away and let these two Lokis do their thing. And, no, he comes back and creates Asgard with his magic to cause a distraction. And it's a fun little moment where I'm like, yeah, this is sucking me in. Like, these are the kind of superhero moments I want, but they're all kind of off kilter because it's Loki in this ridiculous outfit. I'm going to just say right here, right now, season two is going to have Richard E. Grant back. They will find a way. I know that he's been eaten by the cloud dog that supposedly means you're never coming back, but they will find a way to bring this kind of fun back again for a little bit because he's just too much of a delight on screen for you to say never again. Yeah, it feels like he and Alligator Loki were the two breakouts of this thing. And the fact that when I saw him at the end of episode four, again, remember, I took a whole week in between. I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's bad cosplay Loki. It's a person who didn't realize they <laughs> aged out of the costume contest Loki, okay? I'm thinking this the whole week. And now here's classic Loki making the sacrifice, and I'm actually not laughing. I'm with him. I'm emotionally invested in this character I was laughing at a week before when he was first shown on screen. It is perhaps the best transformative arc of a character in the whole series. <laughs> eh, not enough of him here for me to be like, say something that grand. Well, this is what I'm saying about all the other character arcs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I get that he's a delight and I'm hearing you guys responding in the same way I am to this episode of like, wow, what a lot of interesting ideas we could play all day, but I guess we got to go. And the last episode has a very different opening. They've all started with the Marvel Studios logo and it turns green for Loki, but it's always been playing the classic anthem for Marvel Studios. Here, this one starts with dialogue and you hear that song that Steve Rogers danced with Peggy to. It's been a long, long time. You hear Captain Marvel saying, higher, further, faster, baby, and all these audio clips. Yeah, what was that? I think it's going to the beginning of time because it goes back further and further. And at one point, I swear to God, I hear J.J. Walker go, dynamite! <laughs> yeah, and it's also historical figures. I want to point out like Martin Luther King and Maya Angelou were mixed in there. But they're after all the Avengers because it's going newest to oldest. Yeah, Martin Luther King and Iron Man equal importance, <laughs> apparently. Well, no, I was just talking about the most audible ones. The most audible ones are the most recent ones. Did you guys hear J.J. Walker? He was in the mix. That is not one that stood out to me. <laughs> it's just because they fade out the further back they go. But I thought that was a cool audio mix that I could have fun just dissecting and finding Maya Angelou in there. And Jimmy Walker really hopes you heard correctly. I'm sure he would love to come into the Marvel <laughs> Universe in any capacity that he could. I think what I took out of that scene is the universe is constantly retracting and expanding. Like we saw everything get sucked into a tiny ball and then it all spat out again and became this circle around the Citadel. The cloud parts... And uh, we are now seeing the Citadel at the end of time. Miss Minutes comes back. The animated clock comes back to try to cut a deal. Say, we can give you whatever you want. Just don't go any further. Yeah, offers him an infinity gauntlet. 
Yeah. And of course, no, at this point, how are they going to solve this? I'm really on the edge of my seat. Who is responsible for all of this? They don't. (laughs) It should be a Loki, right? I mean, this whole thing has been about variant Lokis. When you finally get to the person behind the curtain, I figured for sure we were going to find a Loki. He Who Remains, is this a comic book character? He's a Doctor Strange, right? Like, this is the Sanctum Santorum of some kind. When we see this architecture, that purple cape, he took classes with Doctor Strange, I'm telling you. Well, he's the science Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is magic, this one's in science. Yeah, this He Who Remains is Kang, we're going to find out. This guy is going to be back in Ant-Man, this actor. You say Kang and I think Turtles. No, that's Krang. That's Krang. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they never do say Kang, though. He only says, I'm a conqueror. That's because this is not Kang. They made clear with that with interviews. This is the same human being in a different multiverse as Kang. So one of him becomes Kang. Yeah, it's a version of Kang the Conqueror. I mean, there's a whole story arc in the comic called the Council of Kangs, where they all get together to try to solve this whole multiverse issue. But Stuart, this is from the comics. In the comics, this character is the descendant of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, and Doctor Doom. Wait, not together, right? I mean, that doesn't work. I mean, that'd be really fascinating. (laughs) Well, he's a descendant, so like, I don't know, like... Okay, okay, so like, Reed's son and Doom's daughter, okay, okay. Or, like, they're, like, great, 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 because he's from the 31st century, so, like... Yeah, the bloodlines (laughs) crossed at some point. Yeah, at some point, those bloodlines cross, and he becomes a time traveler, and, yes, eventually discovers the multiverse. But doesn't Reed Richards discover the multiverse, hence how they know Kang? I'm... I'm... Well, yeah, it's... Kang's the one that does start a multiversal war, though. This is a thing, like, there is a time variance authority in the comics. The timekeepers are real. They're not robots, so they've kind of trimmed things to make it less confusing. I'm trying to keep my Kang questions in my back pocket until we get to Ant-Man, because I have a lot of questions about Kang. I don't know a lot about Kang. But here, we don't have Kang. We have He Who Remains, who... All I could think about when watching this episode was The Matrix 2. Yeah. And the architect at the end. And then I later read that, you know how they use aliases when shooting? When shooting Loki, its code name was The Architect to remind everyone of what they don't want to do, is they don't want to repeat the end of Matrix 2. Well, I'm sorry to tell you guys, you failed. You repeated the end of Matrix 2 right here. Yeah, you always want your third act to be 30 minutes of dialogue explaining the whole story. That's great storytelling. From a character you've never seen before. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But you know what? I'm going to put it out there. There's still something kind of fascinating about talking to God. I still feel like I'm invested in who this guy is because on some level, what I hear him telling me is he's responsible for everything that I know. Everything happens because he's made decisions. Thus, he may not be the literal God. But by and large, we're having that moment. Yeah, he's stopped chaos from happening because he's created the sacred timeline so you don't get this multiversal war going on with all the different Kangs showing up, the evil Kangs that he alludes to. So, yeah, is he good? Maybe, but he's also taken a lot of people's free will away and erased people from time. Like, also bad. Yeah, I get the idea that he himself is good, but resigned to the idea that he's holding back a whole lot of bad. Maybe, but we also don't know anything but his point of view. In his mind, he's good. Very few people are the villains in their own story. So I don't know exactly if his ends really do justify his means or not. 
Meanwhile, during all of that talky talk in the Citadel, Mobius went back to the TVA. That seems remarkably more empty now that COVID struck. <laughs> yeah. And his boss can't wait to get out of there. She's not wearing a mask. She's running for the door. She's in search of free will is, is how she's leaving for season two. I don't. Good luck on finding that. Yeah, supposedly. I, I think she's just going to try to uphold the TVA. But yeah, at this point, Mobius realizes like he rode a jet ski at some point in the 90s. Like he was a person. We, we saw a whole scene with. One of these other guards, she takes Sylvie away to, to ask her if she really had a life before. Yeah, B-15 is, you know, I guess you could call her like an extra. On some level, she's just one of the Minutemen guard that are running around. But she got possessed or enchanted, I guess is the word we're using, by Sylvie. And while that spirit was inside of her, she saw some memories. We weren't shared what they were, but some memories of her earth life that make her cry in the rain when she's pondering it. And she will, you know, she's she's on board Team Mobius as well. She's for tearing this place down. We see her, that we leave her rather, going back to 2018 in a Ohio high school and finding that Renslayer was actually the principal there. I'm not sure what that means. There's a pen that's set up earlier in the episode, and I guess it's a pen from this school that Renslayer is principal at. Doesn't that principal thing feel a little bit truncated? Like, there should have been more regarding the principal bit, too? Yeah, you talked about COVID disrupting this whole thing. Like, I don't know what it means. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying this feels like one of the things COVID disrupted is this principal bit. Because she walks in and is asking, what are you doing in my school? What are you doing in my office? And... It doesn't have a huge impact. Yeah, I agree. It's not even a good enough tease of like, I can't wait to find out how she's running that school. Like, uh, you know, in season two. <laughs> is that what you want? You want to say by the bell episode? <laughs> say by the bell. There it is. We're going to finally get a say by the bell Loki. All right. I'm excited now. That's Zach Morris. Like, he already is a Loki. He's more of a Loki than Sylvie. Yeah. She's more Screech. But we do get the final scene between Mobius and Renslayer for this season where she could have pruned him again. He is not good in a fight, it turns out. Neither is anyone else, but I get your point. <laughs> and I guess we're probably going to see Renslayer again, maybe before Loki season two. As I understand, and Jacob, I'll look to you, she's a character from the comics, right? She's Kang's girlfriend? Yes, she is girlfriend to Kang the Conqueror, always following him around. Yeah, that would explain why she's sort of number two and was working for the robots and just trying to make TVA work, even though she must have known it was a sham. It's because she does have some kind of relationship to the guy that's really behind it all, he who remains. We'll find out. It's not a huge tease. I agree. They could have elongated the season and give us a little bit more and I would be more intrigued, but it's some kind of hook that that's all that these supporting characters really have. If none of them came back, I'll be honest, I'd miss Owen Wilson, but the rest of them, eh, we could go somewhere else without him. Even Sylvie, I feel like I could live without. My question is, can we trust him in what he's telling the Lokis here? That, what, this is some kind of, like, Willy Wonka contest? Like, he devised all this, so eventually some Loki or someone, I guess, would make it to him to take over? Or is he just making this up to try to, like, get them to not kill him? Well... Let me just jump to the very end of what we see here. They're eventually going to go back into the TVA in a world where it's not timekeepers, but him as the idolatry. It almost feels like he needed somebody else to give him the push to give him even more power. 
Like he's going to be really become a god figure once we're at the wrap up. But if he is an honest character, and I don't know why you would conclude that, then yes, what he's saying here is like you have won the chocolate factory. You get to take this away from me and do your best to run it if you think you can. I don't I don't even think it's if you think you can. He wants them to. He wants to give it up, but he feels like there must be a sentinel on guard against all of the other hymns that are out there. That was the part that was hard for me to know. And I just, you know, I go like, well, there'll be several movies to elaborate on all of that. I know that there are multiverse story-driven movies in the next six months. I can't believe it's Ant-Man that we're picking up on this. Well, I mean, but Spider-Man and Doctor Strange comes out in March. Like, it's going to be a lot of it in the next year. But here, if you kill him, you let in the evil. But if you let him live and take his job, the evil is at bay. I don't quite understand why you can't kill him and take his job and the evil would be at bay. Yeah, let's just leave that up to whatever they're going to write next. I'm fine. This is where the show is stopping the TV series and not the mini series that would be required to give us complete answers or mostly complete answers. This is all a tease for a whole nother season. And other movies. Again, like we act like movies these days are self-contained storylines. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is bigger than any one installment at this point. It is. But I just, does that make for a satisfying TV series to know that what you've just seen is four, almost five hours of setup, six episodes of setup to other things is, you know, we've talked about serialized television and how that can be a good thing and it can even cross seasons. But does that still hold if what you're carrying on to is three different movies, another TV series or two? Because everything that happens here created the What If series. The What If series is all tales from the multiverse that is created at the end here. So that they actually came up with a way to tie that into the MCU. And it ends in a multiversal war. Hmm. Right. And so, again, I think what I hear you asking is... If this has all just been leading to other things, does that make this illegitimate? No, does it make it less enjoyable? Not illegitimate, but does it rob you of a feeling of, was it worth your time? Why is this any less true than Iron Man or any installment of the MCU? At this point, the apparatus that they have built is the idea is that it all tied together and matters. And so all of it is leading in all of these directions. The reason why you like a particular moment in time is because you've enjoyed the things that they've done. You've enjoyed the characters, you've enjoyed the situations, you've found yourself delighted and entertained by surprises. I guess it's like Animal Farm. Some movies matter more than others, like Thor 2, The Dark World. Like, you can get rid of that one. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean... I don't know. I don't know that you could necessarily say that. Or it matters as much as any of the other ones. But you're not going to feel that way about it because, you know, your personal reaction to the things it's bringing and your own personal taste. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how someone couldn't have enjoyed some of this series because they've gone through so many genres. They've done so many things. But has it all been satisfying? And would you want them to keep mashing up these things episode after episode the fact that we have six episodes that look nothing like each other makes for a very weird tv series but it is also not a movie well how do you wrap it up then jacob stewart do you recommend season one of loki jacob i'll say this with all the disney plus series wandavision and 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier and this. Someone out there, open up your Adobe Premiere, make a two and a half hour movie. I feel like these would all be stronger just as films. Like maybe because again, if you're going to give me a TV series, I'd need all those episodes more or less to hit because I'm spending a lot of time now with this property. And so you got to make it worth my time. And if you're going to give me a filler episode, like, look, at least we're not getting the, what do they do in sitcoms where they do those flashback episodes, the clip shows. Hopefully we never get a series in the MCU where it's like the clip shows. Though the first episode of this one does feel like a clip show of Loki's life. But like, I do feel like I would enjoy these more if they just got to the point. And this one, especially because this is my favorite of the series, but I realize rewatching it again, it's mostly because of the last two episodes, mostly because of episode five, when it, it just gets real crazy with all the different Lokis. And that's just a real fun episode. But there are, like you said, Stuart, you get a little bit of every genre throughout this series. And so, yeah, it, it kind of holds me over, except for that third episode. Not great. Like, just skip it. <laughs> but I like the weirdness of this. I like that they're going with these crazy ideas of multiverses and timelines, things that have been in the comics for a long time, but it feels like Hollywood now is just getting comfortable with presenting to people. Like, now that you've accepted 20 Marvel films, like, now we can start getting really strange. And I like that. So, yeah, this is my favorite of the Disney Plus series because it's bizarre, it's weird, it gets to some really far-out-there ideas, it does some fun stuff with bureaucracies, it hits a lot of sweet points confronts God, like a lot of things that I like to see in the media that I watch. I just wish it was a two and a half hour movie instead of uh, with a lot of the filler I get. But yeah, I guess I'll say watch this. There's some fun stuff to see. I don't know if it's going to pay off because this is only season one. But yeah, there's some fun stuff to watch in this first season. So go ahead. Give Loki a try. Stuart. I would say if you had fun, then it paid off. I mean, that's the payoff of a TV series. If you had the good time, if you enjoy being with those characters on those adventures, that's how you rate it. You don't rate it on whether the story wrapped up or not. And God bless Disney+. Plus. They have this magic touch of taking MCU supporting characters I don't care anything about. Loki, I actively disliked. And I walk away saying, I'm a fan. That's the amazing thing about this series is Tom Hiddleston is by far not one of my favorite actors, but damn, does he make a great Doctor Who. I haven't enjoyed a Doctor Who like this since Tom Baker back in the 80s. Give the man a scarf. Yeah, seriously. He's the perfect mixture of funny and maddening and sincere. And I buy the love story when I look at him. When I look over at Sylvie, I'm like, eh, I don't get it. But when I see him and his commitment to this part and how he's both falling into more narcissism and becoming a more well-rounded, caring, empathic human being. Yeah, I think what a great showcase for Tom Hiddleston this series has been. It makes me hopeful for these new characters that I don't like in Marvel movies. Like, I can't wait for the Katie show now. I'm like, yay, Wong, <laughs> give it to me. But I'm also going to compliment the world. I really just think that this is, as you say, Arnie, a really well-funded Terry Gilliam movie that just is so inventive in coming up with these Monty Python-like absurd scenarios and steampunk ideas about how time works. I really was fascinated by all of that, like, faux science about the sacred timeline and the branching off and all of that. And, you know, I don't care if what's coming is a good villain or not. I just enjoy this world. I like this character. I enjoy this world. I'm on board for this series. It's not all roses. I will say that if you like the action, and I do think that at any point in a Marvel story, you're going to need some good fights. 
season one did not have any good fights. Terrible fight choreography, and some of it really felt stage-bound. You're saying it wasn't green screen, but it really did feel like, wow, we're going a lot of places, and yet I still feel like it sounds stage 15. I'd like to feel like I was in the real world every now and then. But a lot of great ideas, a lot of creativity. I think that we're looking at Marvel's future, honestly. Stack them up. We haven't seen Eternals yet. We're going to get there next week. But if you look at what's been coming out in the movie theaters and what's been coming out in Disney+, Plus, yeah. There's no way that I can't say that far and away, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Loki are way better than Black Widow and Shang-Chi. And just more exciting, engaging to watch. Like, just... Yeah, I'm on board. What I'm saying is that this is a very solid recommend for Loki. And maybe I like WandaVision a little bit more. Or maybe I'm just partial to that one because it was the first one. But this is the Marvel I get excited about these days. The superhero movies have started to feel a little stale. But I'm excited about this show. I'll agree. It does feel like they can play more on television. Subscriber dollars are more soft than box office dollars. You can't say, Loki, you tanked the network. But it's funny, when I watched this week to week and it ended, I'm like, this was a really good show. I liked it quite a bit. I think I had the high of episodes five and six that left me on such a good note that having watched it then... I'd forgotten a lot of my complaints about the earlier episodes. Fortunately, I have a really good group of friends that every week we would text each other about Loki. And I went back and I reread all of my old thoughts that I had put then. And I'm like, for ending on such a high note and feeling of this is better than Falcon and Winter Soldier and almost as good as WandaVision, I went back and I'm like, what I said after each individual episode, except for five and six, kind of differs from that overall opinion. Watching them all in very quick succession, six episodes in three days, two a day, my opinion isn't quite as high on it because I think revisiting it, I knew what was coming. There was no joy of surprise when Alligator Loki showed up and Throg and all of that. So what I'm left with is a show that I feel is flawed, but not fatally so. I think that in trying to be so many genres and so many different flavors of storytelling, it becomes remarkably uneven. You need a real master of directing and storytelling in order to handle those transitions well. And when you watch them in close succession, you see exactly how jarring it is from episode to episode. And sadly, Sylvie, the casting of that and the writing of that role is what this entire series, or at least season, hinges on. And they did okay. I don't hate Sofia De Martino at all. I just don't think she's Hiddleston great. And Hiddleston is a good actor as Loki. You know, having seen him in other things, I'm not sure he's great in everything. I don't know that he was well cast in Kong, necessarily, or Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak, yeah. <laughs> Nobody was great at that. But here, he wears Loki like a comfortable pair of shoes, and he brings joy to the screen when he's on it. So in the end, I give an uneven recommend to an uneven series. I have to say, though, when I look back, having watched every series now week to week and then binged, I like each series a little bit less than the one before it. 
My favorite is still WandaVision because I feel like it took the medium of television and utilized it perfectly. Jacob, you said cut these all down to movies. Do that with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Do that with this one. Don't do that to WandaVision because WandaVision is television. The whole story is being episodic and trying to cut each episode being a different era of television down into a movie would never work. And so for that, it's my favorite. Falcon and Winter Soldier at least brought the action and had a better central duo. Unfortunately, I feel the duo of Loki is Loki and Sylvie, not Loki and Mobius. If it was more Loki and Mobius, less Loki and Sylvie, I think I'd enjoy this show a lot more. Hopefully that's what they're going to plan for season two. And we are covering season two, right? Like, we're just going to put it out there. However long this show goes, we've made this commitment. We will cover those future season installments at some point. What if this ends up like being The Simpsons and goes on for, what is that on? Like the 25th season? 30th, I think, at this point. Oh, now I feel old. Well, on the bright side, they're not even going to start filming season two until... 2022 late or maybe even 2023 so it's not like we're gonna have to even be talking about loki annually i bet that 2023 is when they're aiming for its release could even be 2024 okay and no promises about what they are putting out next hawkeye starts soon i'm excited for hawkeye that looks really good i don't know why but it put me in a holiday spirit immediately it just looks so fun Haley steinfeld is an actress that i think is really good on screen yeah i like kate bishop in the comics i'm excited to see her get a series yeah and jeremy renner looks like he's really having fun in the part on this one and it kind of reminds me a little bit of Die Hard with the Christmas action theme and assassins. And it's going to pay off. Hawkeye finally has a price to pay for all those things he did during the blip. So I'm really excited for what's coming up with between that and She-Hulk. I'm really, really jazzed. Not so much for Ms. Marvel, but I don't really love that character. But here's the thing that I'm excited about Hawkeye because I don't like Hawkeye. And so I'm going to like, that's what the <laughs> promise has been of all these Disney plus shows. So are you saying we need a Thor to the dark world TV series? The dark elves need to have their own show. <laughs> Christmas special. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Christopher Eccleston <laughs> would appreciate something to redeem that character. <laughs> but don't be bringing back no immortals. That's already a TV series. <laughs> That, that's what we're reviewing next week, Stuart. It's called The Eternals. It's about the same thing. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you keep saying that, but it is directed by Chloe Zhao, Academy Award-winning director of last year's Nomadland. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the long, ponderous shots of an Amazon factory. <laughs> it's my best hope for a Marvel Cinematic Universe. At this point, I feel like they've gotten really stale, and I haven't really been enjoying those movies. She is a director that's going to bring something different. I really feel that strongly. For the two character moments she actually directs. I don't know if it, it will be a good movie or not, but it will be different than Shang-Chi and Black Widow. Of that, I feel certain. It won't be Venom 2. By different, you mean better? I don't know. I think so. I think it will be more of what I look for in movies in it. That's my prediction. That's my hope. And I remain slightly optimistic that things can pick up for the MCU. I'm optimistic always when it comes to the MCU. They've proven me wrong so many times. Sure. But I can't say that I'm overly excited for it because I there's nothing they've shown me to be excited about. 
There's some good actors and some ridiculous costumes. We'll see. And if you really want to know what we're thinking about Eternals, you could hear our review early. You could hear it live as we're recording it. Yeah, a lot of people actually tuned in for the live recording of Halloween. I joined that one. Even though I was on the show, I listened live. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a good experience. It was an interesting experience. And they had a new computer, so there were a couple technical glitches. that happens with live shows. But yes, you can join us live for Eternals as part of the new patron program, either at Patreon or Podbean. If you pledge $50 a month, not only do you get all of our donation shows that are going on right now, platinum, gold, silver, all the patron-exclusive shows, but you can join us and listen live as we review The Eternals. You get sent a super-secret, exclusive-to-you YouTube link where you can listen as we discuss that movie in real time and fumble around. I don't know... (laughs) If this is going to be a really easy movie. You'd hear all our ums and ahs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, stepping on each other. And it's lots of fun to be had. But it's also, again, I think a one that we're going to really have to dig into. And if you go $75 or more, you can actually tell us what you think of Eternals before the review by joining us on a live Skype chat. So find the details at nowplayingpatron.com or on Patreon, search for Now Playing Podcast. And of course, there's links from our website, the brand new, all new, all different, very cool, nowplayingpodcast.com. And thank you for your patience and your enthusiasm for Now Playing. You know, it's so flattering that so many people wanted to hear us talk about Loki. Or at least not talk about Company of Heroes. (laughs) Yes, but I don't think anybody remembers what we put out instead of Loki. They just wanted to hear us talk about Loki. I don't. (laughs) I don't even remember that movie. I know I don't recommend it. So thank you so much for listening and being engaged and talking back to us so we're not just talking into the nexus at the end of time. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And we'll be back next week when the the Eternals Eternals assemble. Look, this has been a very enjoyable pantomime, but I'd like to go home now. Thank you for listening to this episode in the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. 
Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now Playing, credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No, <gasps> you are. just did it again. You're the God, This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. And one thing that Mobius says is, Wow, you sure do have a whole lot of trophies for my work. He does not say wow. (laughs) Okay, he doesn't say wow, but you do have a very nice trophy display for all the trophies you've gotten for people I've captured. And that they think the timekeepers are their creators. Everyone at the TVC believes that they were created. TVA. Everybody at the TVC, the vintage collection of Star Wars figures. (laughs) 
it does feel like you're watching the wrong show all of a sudden. It's like I suddenly turned on... What is her name? Rhonda Shimes? Rhonda... Cher? No, the creator of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, oh, Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes. Rhonda Shimes. Yeah, Rhonda Shimes. <laughs> it's like I turned on a Shonda Rhimes show all of a sudden. 